Bedlam on the very day she had to get to the riverfront, the date set for her departure from this desperate city. She'd sewn her floral print quipois for this special occasion. Each careful stitch had captured her growing anticipation. With her oval face, big eyes, and full red lips all crowned by a tiara of black permanent waves, the 20-year-old might have been mistaken for a coy Shanghai poster girl, but for the panic in her eyes. Like her, everyone in Shanghai seemed to be in a frenzy to escape, to use any means to get away from the impending arrival of the communists. But unlike those who were still clamoring for a seat to anywhere, Bing was one of the lucky ones. She possessed a precious one-way ticket out on a ship to America. Finally, the driver managed to break through the crush. He harangued everyone in his path, shouting, move along, you worthless male mule scrotum, smellier than pig farts. She didn't blink at his choice of words, which came as naturally as breathing on Shanghai's streets. She didn't care as long as she got to, her, to the wharf. The ship's smokestacks came into view just past the stately Astor House Hotel and the towering 19-story Broadway Mansion's apartments, where the Xinjiang Creek meets the bend in the Waihangpu River, the last major tributary of the mighty Yangtze River before it joins the East China Sea. Massive granite buildings, all in European style, lined the signature waterfront boulevard and docks. To the foreigners, this prime section of waterfront was known as the Bund, from a Hindustani word meaning embankment. The Chinese called it Waitan, meaning outside or foreign shore, a reference to the foreigners who once ruled this proud imperialist showcase of Shanghai. British and American businessmen had wrestled, wrested away the best sections of the port city with the full support of the government. Lord, Lord land and sovereignty had once been ripped from, had been ripped from China, spoils of the opium wars that had forced the narcotic onto China 100 years before. Everything about these monuments to international capitalists and pale big noses seemed foreign, including the British Big Ben chime of the giant clock tower over the customs house. Soon it would be up to the communists to decide what would follow, what would happen to these grand stone edifices. Shanghai was China's most modern, populist, and cosmopolitan city. One of the leading metropolises of the world, the Paris of the Orient was also home to tens of thousands of foreigners who were despised by imperial, as imperialists by the, China, by the Communist Party and its leader, Mao Zedong. The city was the launching point for major inland routes and international traffic, whether by boat, plane, train, or wooden cart, making it the epicenter for the massive exodus in the late 1940s. Stoked by the anticipated communist victory over the nationalist government headed by Chiang Kai-shek, panic and terror had first infected the wealthiest, most educated, and most privileged classes and sent them running in what they fully expected to be a brief exile. It was assumed that the communists would target the rich and the pampered in the same way that the Bolsheviks had gone after the czarist white Russians, many of whom had come to Shanghai as refugees from that 1917 revolution. No one knows precisely how many people fled Shanghai during the early years of the Communist Revolution. Scholars and journalists have estimated that more than a million people set off from or through that port city. Many of those who ran for the exits belonged to the city's capitalist and middle classes, who presumably had the most to lose under the communists. These two groups comprised about 5% and 20%, respectively, of the city's 6 million residents, or about 1.5 million people. On the other hand, the remaining 4.5 million who made up Shanghai's majority saw no need to escape. They included Shanghai's industrial workers, coolies, drivers, the destitute. But it was not only members of the upper classes who fled. 
They were joined by old regime loyalists, from high nationalist government officials to lowly foot soldiers, as well as those who simply got caught up in the frenzy or were especially fearful. Unfortunately, there are no records of the exodus since the retreating nationalists destroyed as many documents as they could, while the incoming communists inherited a country in such disarray that no accounting to the departures is known to have taken place. Last boat out of Shanghai by Helen Zia. Did you know that every weekday we send out an email before the show giving you all the topics coming up so you could be fully informed and ready to interact with our program? Or that after the show we send out Sue's Stack, a list of every topic I've discussed along with clickable hot links to every source of information I've shared with you on the air? It's all completely free and available over at tom.tv, T-H-O-M TV. Check it out. And welcome back. 34 minutes past the hour, picking up your calls here. Kurt in Akron, Ohio. Hey, Kurt, what's on your mind today? Hey, Tom. Thank you for taking my call. Um, I didn't get a chance to call yesterday because your line was busy and I got busy. But your op-ed yesterday, as far as what I was able to catch, missed one important thing in that whole scenario. Okay. And that um, is... As you know, the president would be elected by the House of Representatives, and unfortunately, a majority of the states have Republican-led members of Congress. Right. But the vice president is picked by the U.S. Senate, and if the Senate stays in the majority of Democrats, who would be uh, voted by the Senate to be Donald Trump's vice president? Interesting. I didn't realize the two were separated. Is that the 12th Amendment? I believe it is, but no, the Senate picks the vice president and the House picks the president. Huh. So I'll, that could I'll be our saving grace in the government. Yeah, conceivably. Um, I'll have to go back and, and read that. I, I thought that that part of, actually it was part of Article 2, wasn't it? I thought that part was, well, if you, was well, corrected. Well, if you go into the way back, but if you go into the way back machine, and this is pre-me, right. I only know this from history, you know this from living it. Who uh, confirmed Jerry Ford and Nelson Rockefeller to be vice president? I don't know. The Senate. Uh-huh. Okay. I'll take yeah, your word for yeah. it. Because, uh, they, because you can actually find it on YouTube in various places right. where Jerry Ford and Nelson Rockefeller are testifying before the Senate committees in order to be um, sent to the full floor of the Senate for a vote to be confirmed as vice president under, at that time, Richard Nixon for Gerald Ford and... Uh, Gerald Ford for Nelson Rockefeller. Right. But the 12th Amendment was not uh, used in that case. I mean. Uh, no. I mean, I, name... might, I might have had the amendment mixed up, but I do know that the Senate does confirm or vote for the vice president. Yeah. The president of the Senate. Yeah. Huh. Interesting. Okay. Well, let me, let me ponder that. I, I don't know what to make of that, Kurt. Um, but, but, uh, but like I said, that could be our saving grace yeah, for the next. Yeah, it could be. It could be, so, unless, at least, you know, kind God of a, something happens. a little bit of backup. Yeah, interesting. Kurt, thank you. Thank you for that. Thank you. Uh, I need to <laughs> Bye -bye. do a little research. I appreciate it. Hunter in Klamath Falls, Oregon. Hey, Hunter, what's on your mind today? Oh, I was, oh that uh, lady that called from uh, Chicago, my mm -hmm. heart goes out to her. Hartman. <laughs> That's why we call your show. Anyway, I was calling about um, 
I saw um, Malcolm X's daughter. Um, they have new evidence that uh, here at the FBI and was involved with uh, his murder, you know. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and just like uh, Martin Luther King being killed by Floyd Gowers and, you know, you know, uh, what's the other guy, Freud, Fred Hampton. You know, it's Black History Month, and I don't hear anybody talking about stuff like that. Uh, you know, it just, uh, to me, it's all the Republican Party, you know. It's the middle, you know. Anyway, I just wanted to call and bring that up. Okay. People need to look into it. All right. Well, and uh, what, I love your show. <laughs> okay, thank you, Hunter. Nice to hear from you. Appreciate it. Paul in Woodenville, Washington. Hey, Paul, what's on your mind today? Yeah, Tom, you know, um, our courts want to assign personhood to entities that have never been born. Correct. So we have... They don't just want uh, to. They've already done it, Paul. That's what I'm saying. They've done it. Um, So, I mean, I was just thinking while you're kind of talking about the Citizens United and uh, and this wacky ruling in, in Alabama that the 14th Amendment pretty well clearly states that in order to be, uh, um, you have to be born to have rights, to have rights in the state where you where you live and then to have constitutional rights. Under- well, apparently, according to the Supreme Court, if you file articles of incorporation, you have just given birth. Well, that's right. It's like, well, but, and Mitt Romney said, well, corporations are made up of people. Yes, but those people have already been born. They already have their right of personhood. Correct. Correct. And so, I mean, basically, what are, what are articles of incorporation? They're just, they're just uh, business club papers. Mm-hmm. We're a business club. Yep. And so now we're a person. Yep. Now we have, uh, okay, you have frozen embryos that have not been born. Now, here's an interesting thing. We have to count them, don't we? If they're pers- if they're children, then they are persons. Yeah. And the and the Constitution requires that we have to count uh, all persons. So well, this would actually be good for Democrats because these fertility clinics are mostly in urban areas. So um, we have to count them. If we haven't been, that this is I don't know why somebody hasn't. You know, they, they're opening up a huge not only constitutional can of worms, but theologically. This judge down in Alabama said. Uh, people exist before they are born. Right. Now, that's way, way outside any mainstream uh, Christian orthodoxy. I well, mean, that's not true. That's, that's, that's the Catholic doctrine. No. Yeah. I, the only preexistent, the Nicene Creed says that Jesus was eternally begotten before he was born. Right. But the, but the, the Catholic Church, for, uh, for my entire lifetime, has said that a fertilized egg is, is the equivalent of a person. That, that therefore you should not use uh, you know IUDs and birth control devices that they claim are actually abortifacients. I I realize the science says that they're wrong on that, but okay. But again, again, and you know, I just had a discussion with with my with my cousin. He asked me, "When does when do you think life begins?" I said, "We don't need to talk about it. We both have we both have bioscience degrees. Life is continuous. The sperms are human life. Ovum mm-hmm. are human life." What mm-hmm. goes out with the feminine napkins and the used condoms are human life. They both have 23 chromosomes. Who gets to say because it's in the diploid state when it's fertilized? Oh, now you're a person. Right. Well, well the, okay, but the, the, the Alabama Supreme Court just did. <laughs> I mean, well, yeah, well, the, but see, here's the problem is that then constitutionally, do they have rights? How do they have rights? They have to 
see these these uh, and by the way, Tom, they're property. And you know the Constitution does uh, does prohibit slavery if you're not in the in in. Uh, and convicted of a crime, hmm. but it does not prohibit being property, people being property, and these are property. Right. These, these embryos are property. That's so, true. I, I mean, they've, just, they've really just messed things totally up, I think, because they've gotten to the point where they think it doesn't matter if you're born. In yeah. other words, being born doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Right. In the in the rush being to born is nothing. Right. In the rush to satisfy the religious zealots with regard to the personhood of of uh, uh, what are the, the the blasts? You know the um, diploid cells. To, to use your phrase, Paul. Um, yeah. And and in the rush to give corporations as much power as possible. This is this is what right. the the GOP has brought us. And yeah, and Republicans yeah. on the Supreme Court as well. And of course, obviously, and Republicans down in Alabama. And that now we have this issue. We have judges who are interjecting their own personal opinions, and some of them very, very outside the mainstream thought. Um, oh, can you, know, you imagine what, if, if the chief justice of the Alabama Supreme Court had written a decision saying, you know, uh, you know we've got to protect these, uh, these embryos because they are made in the image of Odin. You know, Thor will get upset if you, if you get an abortion. He might curse That's your right. family and you'll end up with some weird disease. I mean, these were things that were actually believed by Norwegians once long ago. Uh, yeah, exactly. And, and you know, the, Norse, was, the Norse gods, yeah. Yeah, it was, this was a legitimate religion. And in fact, there are still people who practice it. But, uh, you know, people would say, whoa, that's weird. But because, you know, so many of us are Christians, it's like, oh, that's not so weird. Come on, that's very weird, no matter what. Because um, it well, shouldn't be. Up before the United States Supreme Court, because I, I don't deny that the states have it's within their powers to uh, regulate in vitro fertilization or even prohibit it, but not for this reason. Yeah. So no. I mean that's 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 a different thing. So that opens up the uh, you know the the case for appeal to the Supreme Court. But now we have you know uh, six six Catholics who are uh, a little extreme in my view. With their, with regard to their, um, you know, religious orthodoxy, to say that that the the unborn. So and here's the other thing: How long do these uh, these frozen embryos now they're people? How long do they get to live in suspended animation forever? Can we never dispense of them? I mean, or after after a, a normal lifespan, after say uh, you know 80 years, do we get to dispense of them? I mean, how long of a, a eternal life do they get to have in frozen, suspended animation? Yeah, it's a whole. It has opened a huge collection, the, the proverbial can of yeah. worms. A huge collection of questions. Exactly. Got it, Paul. Thank you. Uh, spot on. We'll be right back. It's 44 minutes past the hour. Picking up your calls here on the Tom Hartman program, occupying the media three hours a day, five days a week. Right here. I'll be right back with your calls. Stay with us. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Visit TomHartman.com for audio and video archives. Speaking the truth, the GOP would really rather you didn't know. I'll be right back with you. Welcome back. Scott in Charlevoix, Michigan, where my parents are buried. Hey, Scott, what's on your mind yeah. today? Hey, Tom, thank you. Um, just wanted to let, you know, explain why I'm not voting today. It's the only time I haven't felt compelled to. Okay. And um, 
relating to your daily take from yesterday, you had a caller late in the program who finally touched on this notion of absolute immunity. And it got me thinking, in a worst-case scenario, is Joe Biden willing to embrace this absurd notion to preserve our democracy, save it, and... Well, you know, he's, he's ridiculed it, so I doubt that he would embrace it. Yeah, and but right now I feel like the young people in this country, we need to know and feel from this president that he is willing to do whatever it takes to preserve our democracy. And therefore, you're not voting. I don't get the connection. I'm just not voting today because I just, you know, I will be voting on my special day in November regardless, and right. it'll be for Joe Biden. Right. But I just well, cannot vote, and vote today. Okay. I get it. I get it. Um, he know, needs to be sent a message. I think it is a time for anger. Well, if you want to send him a message, then you should then you should vote for un, for uh, uncommitted. Okay. Well, I mean, there is still time for that. Yeah. I'm, I, that's that's um, that's the message sending. If you just don't show up, then that's just you know you just fell off the statistics. But if you want to send yeah. a message, the you know voting for uncommitted is the way to do it. And and I think that there's going to be a lot of attention paid to that uncommitted vote. Although, as I said, you know, back okay. yeah. back when uh, Obama was the only guy on the ticket, there were over 100,000 people who voted uncommitted. I doubt that's going to happen. But, but yeah. that's the way to do it. Scott, i got to move along. Okay. Thank you for the call. Good luck. And, uh, you know, wish you well. Jill in Princeton, Minnesota. Hey, Jill, what's on your mind today? Oh, hi, Tom. It's been a long time since I've talked to you. I am so happy that you mentioned corporate personhood. I missed the first few minutes of the program. And I don't know if you mentioned uh, Move to Amend. So, I didn't, um, but I should have. MoveToAmend.org is doing great work in this area and has for decades. Oh, yes, Tom. Would you please have somebody from National come on your program again? They are doing such great work. They have broken into a couple different categories. They're working on democracy now as well as the amendment. And we're on our way to 600,000 petitions. I so wish I could have reached your entire audience. To tell them, please go to MoveToAmend.org and sign the petition. It just helps. Pramila Jayapal is on uh, one of our uh, part of our Move to Amend. Uh, Mark Polkand, and I and I do think that um, I'm forgetting the other congressman who come on um, Rokana. Yeah. So anyway, it's been a pleasure listening to you all these years, and. Um, Thank you again. I appreciate it. Sure. Uh, who's who's the who's running Move to Amend these days? I, I... Well, we have different people, and right up, I've been ill, so off the top of my head, I cannot remember their name, the names of them. But you know, the one guy, you know, he uses a cane, and he's older, and you've you've worked with him and met him before, hmm. in the, you know, in Washington. Um, boy, um, Greg Greg Coolridge. Okay. Is, is a very, very important uh, member uh, there. Jessica is also, but mm -hmm. yes, please reach out to them. They would love sure. to be on the Yeah, I used to always then. talk to Caitlin and, and, and uh, you know, and before yeah. that, David, and both of them have moved on. No pun intended. Yeah. Uh, Jill, I got to run, but thank you for the call. And thanks for the reminder. I appreciate it. It's 48 minutes past the hour. We'll be back with more of your calls in just a moment.
help support progressive radio. If you're listening to us on a commercial station, call their advertisers and let them know you're listening. If you're listening to us on Pacifica, one of our many nonprofit stations, please support them when they do their fundraising drives. Thanks for supporting Progressive Talk Radio and tag your it. You know, between uh, 40 years of Ronald Reagan's neoliberalism destroying the American middle class and all the just horrors of January 6th and the Trump presidency, America's waking up, and that's a really good thing. I, there's actually, you know, some books coming out about this. I mine the hidden history of democracy. Neil Howes, the fourth turning, is here, and it looks like a, a moment of American Renaissance is upon us if our media doesn't screw it up. Which raises the question: Can we have democracy and Fox News? Can the two coexist? Like, you know, when Fox News runs Chiron saying that that uh, essentially Joe Biden is a wannabe dictator who's throwing Trump in jail because he's his political opponent. There's a whole rant about this and an in-depth analysis of what can we do with regard to repairing our media here in the United States over at HartmanReport.com. I think you'll find it interesting. Check it out. That's before the hour, picking up your calls here, Tom in Media, Pennsylvania. Hey, Tom, what's up? Yeah, I'm looking about this Canadian health plan. Uh, I don't know if you've really looked at this plan or not. It it covers far, far less than what I even have as a middle-class person with a prescription health plan that's affordable. And I think most Americans— That that said, though, the vast majority of drugs in Canada cost a fraction, even without health insurance, cost a fraction of what they do here in the United States because Canada doesn't let the pharmaceutical companies rip off the country. They, They do national purchasing. Yeah, but Tom, besides that, this plan is so flawed and covers so little. Uh, an entire province, Alberta, has already said we don't want any parts of it. We're opting out. Yeah. I will take my health plan and the health plan that most Americans have that give you access to prescriptions over any Canadian plan. At, and at a much higher price. Know, okay, Tom, that's well, fine. Yeah, if you want to continue getting ripped off by Big Pharma, go for it. <laughs> Well, it's better. I get the, the prescriptions that I want, and I can get what I want. Yeah. Uh, you know, everybody looks at these other health plans, Canada and all these, oh, they have national health plans. I would never trade my health care for what these other countries have. It, it, they, over, they overstate what the, the, they have. Yeah, well, that's and not, that's not the message that I hear from people in Canada when they call in. So, Tom, good luck. Bob in Clearwater, Florida. Hey, Bob, thanks for listening to WMNF. What's up? Well, I've always said that corporations are people, yes, but they are people without souls. Oh, there you go. I, I like the old bumper sticker, I'll believe a corporation is a person when Texas executes one. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, just the way that they have to operate. They are forced to make a profit. They are forced to maximize return to their shareholders. It's kind of like Walmart when Sam Walton died and the kids didn't know what to do with it. So they hired business majors who knew the business law inside and out. And pretty soon they vertically integrated the entire U.S. economy, shipped all the production to China, and then cut the costs uh, that they would pay for things. They were like the perfect corporation. Oh, yeah. Sam like Walton was made in the USA. You know, that was his slogan. In fact, that's the yeah, title of his autobiography, Made in the USA. But his kids, they just they just hired out to work, and that's they got right. the perfect corporation out of it. It destroyed mom-and-pop businesses all across the country. Yeah. Sad. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. But there's no... A, a person without a soul doesn't have empathy, doesn't have common sense even. All it knows is profit and numbers. It's sad. Amen. Well said, Bob. Thank you very much. Jan in Spokane. Hey, Jan, what's up? 
Um, I was thinking about how Republicans are repeating their old programs. We know that they picked up on the Southern strategy again, and that's that's kind of like what this is on steroids right now. Hmm. Pick but, up the racists. You know that story about Reagan and the hostages, about hold on to the hostages until after I'm elected and I'll give you a better deal. That I don't know if that story is true or not, but that's the story. Well, they're stalling the border bill until after Trump's elected. That's the same program. Yep. Different subject. Yep. Okay. Then Donald Trump asked Zelensky uh, to open an investigation into the Bidens, and he's withholding. They were withholding Ukrainian defense funds <clears throat> if because they wouldn't do it. That's what the Republican House is doing now. They've picked up. They're doing what Zelensky was smart enough and honest enough not to do. And I think that's really sad. Yeah. It really is. I mean, this it, it's its really a tragedy how corrupt this thing is. They just finished the meeting. Uh, President Biden is meeting with the four leaders, you know, Hakeem Jeffries and, and uh, Moscow Mike and uh, Moscow Mitch Whoa, Moscow and, Mike. and, and uh, Chuck Schumer. And Chuck Schumer is speaking right now. I, I don't know. I, I'll have to check during the break, you know, if anything came out of the meeting. But we're going to have a government shutdown in a week. And Biden came I out know. and said, you know, this is going to hurt the economy. And, and Moscow Mike is like, yeah, that's our goal. We really want to hurt the American that's, economy. That's what Putin told us to do. Exactly right. They're repeating their old programs. There you go. There you They're, go. They just keep and they just keep adding to it and going on. I got it. Jan, thank you very much for that. Lisa in uh, Glenlock, New Jersey. Hey, Lisa, what's on your mind today? Hi, good afternoon. I um I'm a proponent, definitely, of Medicare for All. And many years ago, I did numerous ski vacations in Western Canada. And everyone I spoke with was very happy with their health care. I even had a situation when I was out there, and they took care of me for next to nothing. But my Republican friends here insist that people are dying, waiting for tests. It's terrible. Obviously, they're just drinking the Kool-Aid yeah, because what I've heard and read. And, yeah, and, there's, you know, they're ha they happen to have a longer life expectancy in Canada. They and do. they're happier. But just wanted to see if you could shed light on the reality of their health care system. I know things are emerging with the, well, they, with the drugs, but. I, I think one of the best indicators of the quality of a nation's health care system is longevity. And what we're seeing is, as you correctly pointed out, is that Canada has a longer lifespan than the United States. And, you know, it's, uh, they've, they've got a national health care system that works well. It's inexpensive. It doesn't have a lot of corporations in the middle whether it's you know pharmacy benefit managers on the drug side or whether it's insurance companies on the on the paying the bills side, both of those large sectors where, where hundreds of billions of dollars are sucked out of the American economy every year and transferred into the pockets of fat cats and Wall Street and big corporate you know CEOs and whatnot, none of that's happening in Canada. What's happening in Canada is the government's doing that work and they're doing it at, at a fraction of the cost and they're not having to raise prices in order to be able to pay dividends and and, you know, stock options to CEOs and all those kind of things. So, you know, it's uh, your, your Canadian friends, you know, the this, this same thing I hear from, I mean, we're, you know, uh, we're near the Canadian border here. Uh, Louise and I grew up in Michigan, which is right on the Canadian border. And, um, you know, we, we hear these stories all the time from people in Canada that they, and in fact, my, my, uh, one of my kids 
uh, ex-husband was uh, was Canadian. <laughs> so, I, you know, his family still lives in Quebec. So I'm real familiar with this. You know, people, people in Canada love their health care system. Lisa, thank you for the call. Thanks for pointing that out. I appreciate it. We'll be back on the other side of the break. Dean Obidala is going to share with you why Donald Trump won't call out Vladimir Putin. Stay tuned. It's going to get interesting. You're listening to Tom Hartman. As a writer, I get stuck every so often straining for the right words to tell my story. Over the years, though, I've learned when to quit tying myself into mental knots over sentence construction, instead stepping back and rethinking where my story is going. This process is essentially what millions of American working families are going through this year, as record numbers of them are shocking bosses, politicians, and economists by stepping back and declaring, we quit. Most of the quits are tied to very real abuses that have become ingrained in our workplaces over the past couple of decades. Poverty paychecks, no health care, unpredictable schedules, no child care, understaffing, forced overtime, unsafe jobs, sexist and racist managers, tolerance of aggressively rude customers, and so awful much more. Specific grievances abound, but at the core of each is a deep, inherently destructive, executive suite malignancy, disrespect. The corporate system has cheapened employees from valuable human assets worthy of being nurtured and advanced to a bookkeeping expense that must be steadily eliminated. It's not just about paychecks. It's about feeling valued, feeling that the hierarchy gives a damn about the people doing the work. Yet, corporate America is going out of its way to show that it doesn't care. And, of course, workers notice. So unionization is booming. Millions who were laid off by the pandemic are refusing to rush back to the same old grind. And now millions who have jobs are quitting. This is much more than an unusual unemployment stat. It's a sea change in people's attitude about work itself and life. This is Jim Hightower saying people are rethinking where their story is going and how they can take it in a better direction. Yes, nearly everyone will eventually return to work, but workers themselves have begun redefining the job and rebalancing it with life. You're listening to X-Ray FM on KXRY Portland at 91.1 and 107.1 FM. Streaming online everywhere at xray.fm. If you hear video music play in the dark of night, you are most likely listening to VCR TV. Will your host and DJ Tyrese... Friday mornings at 1 a.m. or anytime at xray.fm. Radio is yours. Radio is yours. X-Ray FM is supported by Slingshot Lounge. Located in southeast Portland on the corner of 56th and Foster, Slingshot Lounge offers an expansive game room, scratch cocktails, and a craft kitchen with a full menu until 2 a.m. Happy hour available weekdays from 3 to 7, and brunch weekends from noon to 4. Slingshot Lounge, decentralizing Portland since 2007.
I could be the sun, be some other one I could touch the earth, see, feel, earth, wind, fire I could hold my breath for another time I could see gold, precious more, so real time I can find a handsome landscape It holds no present Synthesis too Frame the flame, hold the smog of a night Maybe I am the one, just the sky some purple. I can find the handsome landscape There's water on the rock again, grease sweeps I'm Dr. Anthony Lazarowitz, and this is Climate Connections. In downtown Brooklyn, a new skyscraper is nearing completion. The 44-story building has more than 400 apartments, retail space, a gym and yoga studio, a rooftop pool, and more than 200 bicycle parking spots. But it does not have any gas lines. The building is New York City's first all-electric skyscraper, with electric induction stovetops, electric heat pump dryers, and all-electric heat throughout the building. 
we're hoping that by leading by example, our industry peers will come along with us. Jared Delavalle is the CEO of Alloy, the development company behind the project. He says relying on efficient electrical systems is cleaner and better for the climate. And the benefits of electrifying buildings will grow as more of the power on the grid comes from renewable sources, like solar and wind. The Brooklyn skyscraper is also designed to minimize the demand for energy, with triple-pane windows and heavily insulated walls, so less heat escapes to the outside. Our perspective certainly is that we have an obligation as architects and developers to instigate change and to show what's possible. And the technology is now with us such that we can make this change. Climate Connections is produced by the Yale Center for Environmental Communication. To learn more about climate change, visit climateconnections.org. This is Ross Beach, host of Alive with Pleasure on X-Ray FM. Tune in Friday afternoons from 2 to 4 for concert previews, new releases, and other radical sounds. That's Alive with Pleasure. Program. Hey, hey, welcome to our second hour. On the line with us, our old buddy Dean Obadala, host of the Dean Obadala Show, weekdays uh, 6 to 9 p.m. Eastern Time. Uh, Sirius XM Progress Channel 127. He's a columnist with CNN.com, contributor to the New uh, Republic. His substack is The Dean's Report, uh, deanofradio.com or deanobidala.substack.com. Or just go over to substack.com and plug in Dean's Report, and it'll pop right up. Uh, uh, Dean Obidala is the Twitter handle, or Sirius XM Progress. Uh, MSNBC. Hey, Dean, welcome back to the program. You've been, you have been uh, on a writing tear here. I'm loving your newsletter. You, you, Trump is not silent on the murder of Navalny. Trump is helping, uh, Putin is helping Trump again. Uh, Trump reminds us he's a white supremacist. Where do you want to start with this? Anywhere you want, Tom. There's okay. so much going on. Well, I, I wonder, Go I'm ahead. waiting for Republicans to say that they should be able to accept rubles from Russia for campaign donations, because they are so in bed with Putin and the rubles Rubles are still a currency, isn't it? I don't, yeah. Let's assume it is for purposes of this conversation. But this is the, the Russian connection to the GOP. And if you want to talk about Alexander Smornoff, James Comer today, literally today, Tom, the highest House Oversight Committee chair was on Fox Business defending Smirnoff's his credibility, because that's their whole guy right. for this scam yeah, he's like he's yeah. he's like this. There's something skeezy going on at the FBI. There, you know, it's like why are they going after my witness? These guys are pathetic, Dean. I mean, it's just it's, it's pathetic. They don't care if they're trafficking in Russian misinformation because no. they defend the guy Donald Trump who wanted to end this Democratic Republic and make himself the Putin of the United States of America. So they they have an affinity to strong man, and that's what they like. So why not lie? It's it's remarkable. What we're living through, Tom, and I should just say that today we are more than two weeks since the Supreme Court was asked by Trump to give him a stay, which effectively there is a stay in the January 6th case, and Supreme Court has not responded. So effectively, there still is a stay in the January 6th case, and they, and it's only us, I feel, listeners to your show, my show, and others who are on our side who sense this urgency that Donald Trump has to be held accountable before the election. And it, there's so many people, including the Supreme Court, just, eh, well, whatever. Yeah, here's my I'm take deeply on, concerned. I, on what's going on with that. I think that what we're seeing right now is the, uh, you know, at least one of the justices, and probably two, probably, probably Thomas and, and Alito, are writing a dissent 
to the decision that says, no, Trump doesn't have immunity. And they're taking their sweet time, which they can do. I mean, they can take the half a year to write a dissent if they want, and they can't, the decision can't be issued until they're done writing it. I think they're doing this to give Trump the delays that he wants. What do you think? Certainly. That's certainly plausible. Anything's plausible. We should ask Harlan Crow what's going on. Yeah. I mean, can't we, can't we get a liberal billionaire to offer Clarence Thomas more sort of like a draft scenario, like, hey, look, Harlan Crow offered you this. We will buy your mother two houses and you get your own jet. Like, why, maybe instead of bemoaning it, we should just play the game as well and get liberal billionaires to yeah. buy our own justices and, and outbid Harlan Crow. It is we apparently buy, totally legal. Steyer. Yep. That, this is, Tom, when you read about the Supreme Court and Thomas, it's like something we'd be reading about from the 1800s in America going, wow, yeah. what a corrupt time. You can actually buy a justice in the Supreme Court. Literally happening now, and Chief Justice Roberts still will not implement or promulgate any hard-hitting ethics rules with some teeth. They won't do it. So they're saying it's fine. I don't understand how Roberts in one breath could say he's worried about the integrity of the Supreme Court and the next not promulgating rules that are really are very, very strong and severe penalties, whatever it could be, lay it out for ethics violations. This well, his wife has made $10 million from, from uh, law firms that have business before the court. Roberts is just, right. you know, he's corrupt too. He's just corrupt in a slightly less cosmetically disgusting fashion. Do you think there'll be a Tom Hartman in 40 or 50 years who looks back at this time and say, wow, what a corrupt nation this was, the United States of America, like the way we talk about the past, or we talk about the oligarchs now, but yeah. perhaps we're, there's more corruption right now in our system than we're even aware of. And one day in the future, another generation will be like, how do they not see that? Because yeah. when they look at like, big oil and the railroad tycoons and their influence on government and politics. Like, how corrupt? Didn't anyone care? And I bet people did care then. They had no power to change it. That's what we're learning now, because the average American, even some on the right, would be happy to take big money out of politics. It's one of the few things that unites us. We still can't do it. Yeah. Yeah. Now, you, you wrote, uh, Trump reminds us he's a white supremacist with his latest comments about black Americans. I've, you know, had a couple of black callers call and, and reference this. Uh, I've spoken about it. I'm curious your take on it. This is Donald Trump revealing to us his view of black America by saying, hey, I was charged with crimes, so you're going to like me more because in his twisted, sick white supremacist mind, crimes is synonymous with the black community. It would be like going to a Muslim organization, to one of my organizations, and say, hey, I was just charged with terrorism. You must love me more, right? Because yeah. you're the terrorist people. That's exactly what this is. So I'm glad Reverend Al and others denounce it for what it is. It says how Donald Trump views the black community tied with crime. Also, he says they like him because he's been discriminated against and they've been discriminated against. Yeah, they were discriminated against by Donald Trump in the 1970s. His housing units here in New York where he got sued by the DOJ for it. This is a man who's trafficked in white supremacy and bigotry against people of color for decades and decades and decades. Yeah. So... I don't think he gets more support with the black community, but I think for his white base, there's another part to it. They like it. They go, oh, look, he's telling black people they're all about crime, and they get it. I think there's another level to it. I wanted to ask you about Muslims in Michigan. Um, you mm -hmm. being a member of the Muslim community, I, I realize These are my people. Yeah, you, right? don't, you don't live in Michigan, but uh, I, no. grew, I grew up there. I'm real familiar with the, you know, the Dearborn uh, Arab American community. Uh, Louise and I, uh, there's some great restaurants down there that we used sure. to go to every weekend, um, and they'd have mm -hmm. these festivals and things. Um, but uh, how, how, 
I, I, and I'm guessing that we're of the same mind that uh, Biden really should be calling out Netanyahu about the war crimes he's committing in Gaza and has committed and, uh, you know, pushing harder for a two-state solution. Uh, in fact, I'd love to get your thoughts on that, too. But to sure. what extent do you think this is, you know, I get making a statement today by voting for mm -hmm. uncommitted, um, and that doesn't hurt Biden. It just sends a message to him. Um, but how does, uh, you know, what, what will the impact of this be in the general election? Let's assume that nothing has changed between now and November, although it's a, I think that's a very uh, unsafe it, assumption. But what's what? I think mean? the war, I think the war will be over in eight months. I have to hope for that. Look, to my fellow Democrats who are upset with Arab Americans, Muslim Americans and their allies, a lot of African-Americans and younger people, of all backgrounds in Michigan saying we're going to vote uncommitted and send a message to Joe Biden. They, this will not mean Biden will lose the primary. It doesn't mean he's going to lose in November. They're sending a message eight months out from the election. That's when you do it. You don't do this two weeks before the election. That would be terrible for us. Eight months out. And President Biden's going to hear from Democrats. And I will say Biden's tone has changed on the Middle East. And that's because of the grassroots speaking out. Yep. In the beginning, and I just wrote an article for my newsletter that came out this morning on this. In the beginning, he was saying, I don't believe. Palestinian claims on civilian laws. He didn't say Hamas, he said Palestinians. And he said proudly, I'm a Zionist. And there was no compassion for the Palestinians. And he's an empathetic guy. Over time, that changed over the last few months. He even talked about indiscriminate bombing. Yep. It was his term, indiscriminate what Netanyahu was doing. That's the grassroots movement there. So he, has, he is moving in the right direction. He is working for a ceasefire. It is clear to me that Netanyahu is undermining Joe Biden because Netanyahu wants Donald Trump in. So I think there's another level to it that Biden's aware of, which is why we had reporting two weeks ago, him calling Netanyahu hell to work with, and he's not on his team, and, that, and even calling him a curse word, according to NBC reporting, which I know was leaked. That was They were leaking that on purpose. So you're getting a sense. Netanyahu is part of the Trump, the GOP apparatus. He's long been. He was disrespectful to President Obama because he was black, and that's the racism Netanyahu on display. Yep. So President Biden's in a difficult position, but I think we're going to see a ceasefire reached, I hope, within a week. And from there, it's up to President Biden to ensure there are conditions on, on military aid, or at least calling for conditions on military aid to Netanyahu that they can't be used to violate human rights laws anymore. We even have a law already about this, but to actually enforce it and talk about it more, help aid for the Palestinians. And, you know, right now, you know, Tom, you may have covered this or not, the UN Relief Works Agency. There's an allegation by Netanyahu that 12 members of that organization of thousands of employees, which are Palestinians in the West Bank, Gaza, and even in Lebanon, had 12 people tied to Hamas. Well, they fired them, and they're purging them. And that's a good thing. And we paused aid. But I would ask you this. In the Netanyahu cabinet is a man named Itmar Ben-Gavir. Ben-Gavir was convicted in an Israeli court in 2007 of terrorism against Arab Christians and Muslims. He is part of the administration. So why are we giving a penny to an administration where there's literally a convicted terrorist as a national as a minister? We mm. should hold up no aid. Netanyahu didn't have to bring him in. He did. So he brought a terrorist into his administration. Now the man's there for over a year. He's horrific. And President Biden mentioned Ben Gabir by name on Seth Meyers' show last night about how extreme he is. Right. It's a dangerous man. No money to Netanyahu until Ben Gabir is gone. Do you, do you see any connections between Netanyahu and Putin? I mean, both both Netanyahu and oh, Putin yeah. want Trump as president. But beyond that, are they are they hooking up in other ways? That I'm not sure about. And I, I haven't seen any of that. Uh, the clearly there's this axis of evil would be a Trump Putin Netanyahu 
access going on there. Mm-hmm. And Benjamin Netanyahu has never been a friend of the Democrats. He's part of the GOP apparatus, and we should view him as that. And I think aid at least be conditioned going forward. I mean, Senator Chris Van Hollen gave a great speech on the floor two weeks ago saying, use the term textbook war crimes have been committed by Netanyahu in Gaza. And that's what collective punishment is. And if people want to defend collective punishment of two million people for the crimes of Hamas, that's your choice. But you are defending war crimes. Again, that's your choice to defend it. But let's not pretend it's not a war crime. It is a war crime. And as Senator Van Hollen has said in the first two months of this conflict, 10 times more children were killed in Gaza than the two years of the war in Russia, in Ukraine, that, that Russia has been waging. And, and that's, a, that's an eye-opener for people, I hope. The indiscriminate bombing, dropping 2,000-pound bombs in Gaza, 500 of them at least, according to CNN, those bombs kill people 1,000 feet away. So even in good faith, you're bombing Hamas at one target. You're killing people in an apartment building a quarter of a mile away from them. And they did that, and they didn't care, because the human life of Palestinian Christians and Muslims did not matter to Benjamin Netanyahu. That's what we're dealing with, a right-wing supremacist or movement, no different than white supremacists in the United States of America. So that's their kindred spirit. Yeah, and, and tragically. Dean, Dean Obidala, the great Dean Obidala, host of the Dean Obidala Show on Sirius XM Progress 127 every evening or every weekday, 6 to 9 p.m. Eastern Time. Uh, check out his Substack newsletter, uh, deanobidalis.substack.com. It's called the Dean's Report. Just go to substack.com yep. and plug in Dean's Report, and it'll pop right up for you. Dean, and it's free. Please, so please do. There you yes. go. Thank you, Dean. Thanks, Tom. Good nice chatting with you, my friend. Thank Have you. Have a great day. Bye-bye. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Crazy alert. Uh, this is a very, very strange Republican uh, saying that she wants to exile Jews. Really? We'll be right back. And welcome back. Hang on just a second here. Just getting some things together. Okay, Tom in Matawan, Michigan. Hey, Tom, what's on your mind today? Oh, this is Tim in Matawan, Oh, Michigan. Tim, I'm sorry. You're right. I th- that's, uh, I think that those ladies in Alabama should send their used feminine hygiene products to the court with a letter saying, there's a dead embryo here. I think you should charge me. Oh, interesting. Interesting, yeah. Of course, it's not fertilized. Well, actually... Something like one in four fertilized embryos never, you know, actually becomes part of a period, doesn't doesn't actually implant in the uterus. So it could, there could well be a fertilized embryo in there. I was a welder, not a gynecologist. Yeah, yeah, I get it. Tim, thanks a lot for the call. Uh, you know, it is it is an interesting, uh, thought-provoking uh, kind of, what, do you, what would you call it, mental experiment, I guess. Jim in Las Vegas. Hey, Jim, what's on your mind today? Hey, Tom, how are you doing today? Hey, good, what's up? Yeah, um, number one, love Dean Obadala. Yeah, he's a good guy. Uh, he, stole, uh, he stole a little bit of my thunder here. Um, but, yeah, uh, I, I, I wanted to get your thoughts on these people that are talking about they don't want to vote for Joe Biden over the fact about the Israeli war. Number one, Netanyahu started the war. Number two, he is continuing this war 
over the advice of every other like like friendly nation. Well, hang on just a second, Jimmy. Uh, Let's be clear. Hamas started the war by invading Israel and well, killing a thou well, over a thousand okay. people. I mean, you know, raping well, women, well, okay. kidnapping people. That's what started. Yeah, yeah. This. I'm sorry, but he 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 is. I would say he then started the genocide. I guess in God. Well, he, he started the war crimes. There's a, there were are a number of ways that he could have responded, and he re, and he chose the most brute force, the most high profile, and and the way that he Ooh, I, I believe he calculated was most likely to keep him in office. Oh, uh, I mean exactly. Uh, you know how would I'm sorry. My dogs are like give me a bunch of crap. I get a lid mouse. Um, okay, at, at the same time, but yeah, I mean, I mean, think about it. Why would he want to do this? Um, it, I mean, the whole thing really reeks of. It, I, the whole thing stinks. I think it's the same reason um, that George W. Bush wanted to have a war in Afghanistan and a war in Iraq. He, uh, you know, he told his biographer in 1999, Mickey Herskowitz, that having a war, being a wartime president, is the best way to get reelected. In Netanyahu's case, yep. he's not so much worried about reelection as he is worried about just holding on, right? And the longer, exactly. as long as he's and the yet, prime minister, he, he doesn't go to jail. Exactly. And yet we sent Israel money, and Netanyahu sent Hamas money for how many years? At least a decade. And then all of a sudden, out of the blue, when Joe Biden is like, we have the best economy, we have the lowest unemployment, we're doing so well, all of a sudden, out of the blue, bam, everything hits. Yeah. Yeah, it's, I, I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but it really does kind of stink. Yeah, I get it. Jim, thank you for the call. I, I, I don't disagree. And there's, there's something going on here that's not... It's not healthy for democracy, uh, so, shall we say, at the very least. It's 22 minutes past the hour. We'll be right back with more of the news of the day and your call. Stay tuned. Missed my opening rant today? It's usually published over at HartmanReport.com where you can read it and share it with your friends for free. Check it out, HartmanReport.com. So MAGA Mike and the Republicans want a religious test for people running for public office. They want to know that you are sufficiently Christian to be worthy of being elected. Right. MAGA Mike is one of these uh, seven mountain evangelicals. There are seven domains where these dominionists believe that we need to have religion completely take them over. Education, religion, family, business, government, military, arts and entertainment, and the media. Seriously. This is not what Jesus was preaching when he said, give unto Caesar what is Caesar and unto, unto God what is God's. This is the opposite, in fact, of what Jesus was teaching. It's the opposite of Matthew 25, where Jesus said, the only way to get to heaven is by feeding the hungry, healing the sick, helping the poor. It's, this is counter-Christian, anti-Christian, in fact. In fact, I think you could say it is the Antichrist's work. There's a piece about it over at HartmanReport.com. Check it out. Twenty-four minutes past the hour. So uh, this poor guy in Virginia, right? He is the—he's uh, the chairman of the Arlington County Republican Party. Uh, his name is Matthew Hurt, H-U-R-T-T, -T, 
and uh, or he's chairman of the Virginia, excuse me, the Arlington County Republican Committee. And he's got all these Trump supporters who are just taking him to the, you know, to, to task, who are, you know, reaching out and just going after him. And he couldn't figure out why at first. He said he's received numerous emails from Republican donors who are demanding that the Arlington County Republican Party stop taking money out of their checking accounts or stop dinging their credit cards over and over and over and over again. Now, here's what happened. Donald Trump, when he does his fundraisers, there's a little box that says, please uh, make, you know, I want to support even more. Please make this a monthly recurring donation. So, so, and, and that box is pre-checked. So when people go to WinRed, which is the, the like Act Blue, it's the, the central clearinghouse for Republican donations. When people go to WinRed off of one of Donald Trump's fundraising appeals, and they're coming, you know, a couple every day. I mean, I'm on, on a couple of his lists, and it's amazing uh, what we get. That uh, when people say, yes, I want to donate, Donald, I want to help you out. Oh, it's, Mel it's Valentine's Day in Melania, and let's, let's send him $10 or whatever, you know, oh, you know, want to help him with his uh, legal fees or whatever it may be. When they go to that website and they click, yes, here's my $10, they don't notice that that box has been clipped that says, repeat this every single month forever. And so Trump has, has been getting money from, you know, from people for years now who didn't realize that that box was checked, particularly senior citizens, particularly older people who are starting to lose it, particularly older people who might have a little bit of dementia or something very much like that. So, you know, it's just, it's, it's a real, it's a real challenge, so we say, for this guy, because what it says on WinRed when you go to, you know, when, when you get your bill on your credit card, what it says is WinRed GOP.com Arlington, Virginia, because that's the headquarters of the Republican Party. But people think that it's the Arlington County Republican Party, and that's who they're calling. That's who they're, you know, they're trying to kick their butts. Uh, he says, every single one of them has told me a similar story. Elderly, they don't remember donating month after month. As a county committee chairman who struggles to raise money, it infuriates me. So in a way, I guess we should be glad that Donald Trump is just ripping off all these Republican donors because they're not going to be there to, to help out the GOP in any kind of meaningful way. It's interesting. It's very interesting. Meanwhile, a Massachusetts Republican candidate says that she wants to exile all Jews from the United States. Seriously? And no Republicans are speaking out against her. None. We'll be right back. You're listening to the Tom Hartman Program. Call 202-808-9925. And I'll be picking up your calls on the other side of the break, too. It's the Tom Hartman Program. Talk media for the sane among us. We'll be right back. Our book today in the Tom Hartman Book Club is by Robin Marty. It's titled Handbook for a Post-Row, as in Roe v. Wade, for a Post-Row America. And the uh, cut line on the front says, the future without row is coming straight at us. This is the roadmap you need for the tough times ahead. This is from Chapter 7, page 101, titled Knowing Your Comfort Zone, Why Civil Disobedience. Access to abortion and birth control isn't just a health care issue and an economic issue, it's also a civil rights issue. And like every civil rights battle, gains are made through acts of civil disobedience or working outside the legal framework. 
Married people officially gained the right to access birth control only after Estelle Griswold, the executive director of the Planned Parenthood League of Connecticut, opened a clinic and began offering contraception in direct opposition to the 1960s state law forbidding it. That right was extended to single people in 1972 after Bill Baird was arrested in 1967 for purposely flaunting the Massachusetts law and publicly providing contraceptives to an unmarried woman during a college lecture. The Clergy Consultation Service on Abortion spent much of the 1960s and early 70s prior to the Roe decision assisting pregnant people in finding safe abortions either from legal or illegal providers throughout the country and across the borders. And there were groups like Jane's Collective that provided the service themselves, even at the risk of their own arrest. Today, people are highlighting a number of issues through acts of civil disobedience. North Carolina had weekly mass arrests at their state capitol during Moral Mondays protests, while the Black Lives Matter movement physically closed highways with their bodies. And of course, when Brett Kavanaugh was appointed to the Supreme Court, hundreds of activists were arrested, some multiple times, for interrupting his hearings, protesting in the Hart Building, when it became clear the Senate Judiciary was not going to investigate claims of past sexual assault. Some protesters even blocked the stairs prior to Kavanaugh's swearing-in ceremony. As our society recedes further into racism, sexism, xenophobia, and classism, opposing the power structure through nonviolent means grows more imperative. Aaron Matson, the co-founder of the reproductive rights group Repro Action and Teen Vogue, wrote, If Roe is overturned or gutted, it is certain that some states will propose and enact some abortion bans, new abortion bans. Again, nonviolent civil disobedience should remain on the table, this time targeting state and municipal level lawmakers. We must remember that while in several contexts abortion rights supporters lack immediate political power, in spite of the fact that nearly 7 in 10 Americans do not want to see Roe overturned, we always retain the power of using our bodies to stop or slow the machinery of state repression, end of quote. Matson adds, ultimately, it's up to activists to decide. Are we willing to break convention if lobbying fails? Are we willing to strategically expose ourselves to the risks of arrest? And if we are not, are we willing to look into the eyes of the future generations who will be incarcerated for abortions, miscarriages, and pregnancy complications? End of quote. ReproAction is a growing network of state-based activists that conducts political events, teach-ins, and other direct action, actions to increase access to abortion and birth control services. They currently have national campaigns as well as individual campaigns in D.C., Virginia, Missouri, Arkansas, and Wisconsin. You can join up with or financially support ReproAction Repro to increase their national and local reach. Subchapter title, Is Civil Disobedience Right for Me? What are you willing to do to make sure that you, the people you know, or even total strangers, have access to contraception and abortion care, especially once more abortion options become illegal? Are you willing to be arrested if you participate in direct action or nonviolent protest? Is helping someone obtain abortion pills worth a potential prison sentence? Would you drive a teen to another state to get an abortion if that drive makes you an abortion facilitator and thus a federal criminal? You may believe you're willing to risk everything to help someone get an abortion, and that may well be what is needed in some cases in a post-Roe America. But make sure that you've really thought out all the consequences of such a radical approach. These are the questions you should be asking yourself now before new laws are put into place. One small silver lining of the Trump era is the way it has energized so many people to actively resist the political agenda. There are more activists, donors, candidates, and pro protesters than there have been in decades. And that means lots of people who can work together and step in when and where people are needed. 
but in certain geographic areas it is and will continue to be harder to find those with the ability and privilege to do resistance work. For example, with the Trump administration's increasing militarization of ICE and border security, checkpoints into and out of America will be more scrutinized than ever before. With a population that in many cases is literally trapped in places like the Rio Grande Valley or Las Cruces, where undocumented people can neither leave the country for services nor go further into the U.S. for care, the need for additional action and people who have the willingness and ability to act may be greater than in New York City or the Bay Area. Maybe you have a very specific skill set. You might be medically trained, have a legal background, or maybe you've done counseling or social work, or you're a member of the clergy. These are people who will add a lot of value to the movement, especially if it turns out civil disobedience is the right way to proceed. Ask yourself if you're the only person who can do the thing you're considering doing, or if there's a number of people like you who are planning to step up. Then ask yourself what sort of risk you may be running and how those factors balance out. It's almost impossible to be a solitary activist these days, but there are spaces where you can manage. Letter writing campaigns, social media campaigns, inter information distribution, and fundraising can all be accomplished in a fairly solitary environment. Handbook for a post-Roe America. Hey, if you like the rants that I open the show with every day, they're typically published over at heartlandreport.com. Check it out. Welcome back. 34 minutes past the hour. So uh, I, I'm a believer in free speech. I, you know, people should be able to say whatever they want to say, you know, within reasonable bounds. Obviously, you don't yell fire in a crowded theater, but... Um, if people have offensive views, they should be able to express them, I, I think. Uh, they should also be able to suffer the consequences of that, you know, social approbation, for example. So here we've got now the Republican State Committee in, in uh, uh, the area of Boston uh, has an election. One of the candidates to represent a Boston area district in the Massachusetts Republican Party State Committee is an avowed neo-Nazi who has pledged the mass expulsion of Jews from the United States. In fact, Lori Kaufman posted on her ex account over the weekend, quote, don't forget, I'll likely get voted into office on March 5th. Long-term goals here are to ban same-sex marriage, never should have been legalized, and trans will be illegal. Yes, illegal. I will also exile all Jews. She's from Dorchester. She said she divides uh, one of the um, uh, profiles of her. This is the uh, Universal Hub a Boston local Boston uh, kind of local newspaper said that she divides her love between Kanye West and Hitler and blames a COVID-19 shot for giving her stage four brain cancer. She's posted a meme of herself holding a payphone with the words, hi Hitler, it's 2024 and we're requesting your assistance. Now that's not the outrageous part. I mean, that's pretty outrageous, right? But the outrageous part is I'm not seeing Republicans from around the country coming out and condemning her. I mean, you know, it's uh, probably by now, because the, the story has kind of gone viral, uh, some Massachusetts Republicans are condemning her, but, you know, I haven't, I haven't even seen that. But this, when you look at some of the people and some of the beliefs in the Republican Party, it's, it's, it's truly demented uh, what's going on there. All right, let's pick up your calls here. Uh, Michael in British Columbia, Canada. Hey, Michael, what's on your mind today? I'm just responding to that uh, previous caller talking about the uh, new 
PharmaCare plan. Mm-hmm. Um, he missed the point that he, he's doing well because he's got a medical plan, but many people don't. Yeah, about 30-some-odd million Americans don't. So the, this, this new PharmaCare plan covers everybody in the country. And it's just in its infancy, and it's starting off covering contraception and diabetes medication. The other, the other issue is, is that in Canada, PharmaCare covers everybody, but it's means-tested, so the people who need it the most get the most um, uh, uh, money back from the government or getting getting coverage from the government. Mm-hmm. And you can get any drug you want in Canada as long as you want to pay for it. But if you get your drug through Pharmacare, they do, let's say if you need an anti-inflammatory, uh, they look at the scientific um, uh, studies that have been done on, on the efficacy of all the anti-inflammatories, and they choose the one that's most cost-effective. Mm-hmm. So if Advil is scientifically proven to be uh, work as well as all the other prescription drugs, if you need an anti-inflammatory, you will get the Advil. Mm-hmm. If you want a new wonder anti-inflammatory, then you pay the difference between what the cost of Advil is and what um, the you, new you wonder have, pill costs. Are you a physician, Michael, in Canada? I am. I'm retired now. Uh-huh. Okay. And, and, and the, the comment about Alberta, Alberta is our Texas. It's a very conservative province, right. and they're doing exactly what the many conservative states are doing in the states. The reason why they're not accepting the money from the federal government to become part of the PharmaCare plan is because they're just being obstreperous and they don't want it to succeed. Right. Interesting. And, you know, it's it's a very similar... It's also a province with an oil economy, isn't it? It is. It is. And the, um, the uh, premier of the province, uh, Denise Smith, is, is uh, well, let's say she's good friends with many of the um, conservative uh, right-wingers down south. So she's, so she's wired into the Koch network and those other uh, fossil fuel billionaires who don't want America to have Medicare? You know, I, I don't personally know, but yeah. it's, uh, it just, but it sounds like you know, they're, they're, they tend to be the renegade of all the provinces and, and do not cooperate with, with the federal government. And it's, it's really just a point of, of, uh, of um, their, their uh, point of view right. that they're right. following. It's not because it, it, it's, it's not because it wouldn't benefit the uh, the, the people of the province. No, I and and like in many states, you know, the the people of the province are paying the price. Right. We still have 13 states that have not expanded Medicaid, and you know, it's just because Republicans don't want low-income people to get any benefits, uh, particularly if those benefits are paid for with tax dollars that might necessitate raising taxes on billionaires. Uh, Michael, thank you. Thank you so much yes. for the for the insight and and for your experience as a physician. Now, as a doc in Canada, do you think that the system works well? Are most people happy with it? Uh, um, well informed people are, and mm-hmm. it's it, it's under stress. And the, the the main stress 
is the lack of family physicians. But it has nothing to do with economics. That has to do with the job and the fact that, you know, that, well, I'm a perfect example. I'm just, I'm retired now, and, and there's, you know, it's, uh, there, you know, many of my colleagues have, you know, have just reached that age where they're retiring, and uh, you can't find enough people to to replace them. And uh, you know, now you the way the way medicine has evolved, and um, it takes three times the number of physicians to see the same number of people that it did 20 years ago. Um, because of it, technology. Uh, technology, and. Um, Doctors wanting wanting a bit of a life, mm-hmm. you know, not not working seven days a week, twenty four hours a day. Yeah, um, you know the, uh, the the incursion of 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 women into the into the uh, profession has helped a lot in terms of trying to uh, get some uh, lifestyle balance. Mm-hmm. But that comes at a cost. We're just expecting more physicians to do the same job, and and yeah. the you know the complexity of of patients has increased over the years, and uh, the the amount of uh, investigations and things that people need. But you know, if you get if you have an emergency here, like a heart attack, stroke, you know, you're going to get excellent care. Yeah, and immediate care. You know, yeah. it, no, I get it. I get yeah. it. Yeah, and 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 you know, personally, like if I needed a knee a knee replacement, sure, I might have to wait six months. But but my neighbor, you know, who can't afford it. He's going to get it, too. Right. Exactly. Exactly. That, that's the trade-off. You know, Michael, thank you so much. You know. Great talking with you. You're welcome. You. I appreciate it. Uh, Dave in Buffalo, New York. Hey, Dave, what's on your mind today? Uh, uh, thanks, Tom. Uh, uh, IVF is abortion for the rich because uh, from the centers of uh, genetics and society, uh, since 1970 or 1991, uh, 3.5 Five million human embryos have been created. Of a little over that, 235,000 were successfully implanted. Uh, of the 3.5 million embryos, uh, 840,000 were put into storage for future use. Uh, more than 2,000 were stored for donation. Almost 5,900 set aside for scientific research. Almost 1.4 million were implanted in the hope of beginning pregnancy, and 1.7 million human embryos were thrown out, destroyed, or aborted, scraped into the bin of waste. And then of the fertilized eggs, around 15% will be lost before implantation begins. Of those that which begin to implant, only half will implant successfully. Of the half which do implant successfully, between one-third and one-half will be lost at the time of menstruation. Official statistics show that almost half of all embryos used to help women conceived through in vitro fertilization will be thrown away during or after the process uh, of the fertilized eggs to make up uh, blastocyst uh, on average only 30 to 50 percent of the embryos uh, make it to the blastocyst stage IVF is abortion for the rich while humanity suffers uh, most people talk about IVF about this wonderful thing uh, but it's really directed for the rich uh, because of the massive amount of abortions that are created uh, through IVF and nobody on the news or anywhere else talks about uh, the abortions that are created. So you're, you're calling the destruction that, that of okay. fertilized eggs an abortion? Do I have that right? I'm sorry. Well, a fertilized egg is an abortion when, when you destroy it, isn't it? No, I don't think so. I think an abortion is when the body expels a, you know, it's, it's an abortion. It's, it's a, a well, process is interrupted 
that process has not begun until implantation. Well, I guess, I guess the argument here is when does life begin? I get it. You're, you're using the Catholic perspective. Dave, thank you. Uh, David in North Miami Beach, Florida. Hey, David, what's on your mind today? Hey, y'all. Um, hey. It's a good thing that uh, John Oliver has prom offered to pay Clarence Thomas to retire. Right. On his show. A million dollars a year. Yep, but that makes too much sense. Um, it might be bad that Florida does not have a primary for the Democrats. So I'm hoping that Michigan will vent where uh, Florida won't mm -hmm. vent. Um, and it's ugly that um, anybody thinks that a mass deportation of Jews like me, Muslims like Dina Badala, is a good thing. Because how did that yeah. work out for Spain in 1492 or basically anywhere right. else? Right. And, of course, with the Japanese, we asked George Takei about his experience in 1942. Um, don't they have that third gender that uh, you know, is unthinkable to these right-wing extremists? I, I, don't, I, 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 I don't know world. enough about Japanese culture to be able to answer that, but I know a lot of Native, native cultures do, you know. The so, double spirits. Yeah. Well, same, right, yeah, same thing. Exactly. Yeah. So it's just, you know, that there's a range that these these extremists cannot believe exists. Yeah. No, and, unfortunately, and, and, yeah. Yeah, I, 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 I agree with you, David. And, and the queer community has had, uh, you know, has rec has been recognized respectfully throughout history by, by many, many uh, societies, just apparently not right now by the GOP. David, thank you for your call. We'll be right back. It's 46 minutes past the hour. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Visit TomHartman.com for audio and video archives. It's the True People's Media. Back with your calls in just a second. Stay with us. And welcome back. Zeke in Portland. Hey, Zeke, what's on your mind today? Tom, uh, I gather from what I've been hearing you saying lately that you've, you've come to the correct conclusion that Putin is not going to stop with Ukraine. Um, he, uh, according, according to what's been said by people like uh, Andrei Mordvichev, Colonel General of the Russian Army, you know, Ukraine's just for starters. After we're done with Ukraine, we're going to liberate Eastern Europe. Yeah, they want to put the band back together. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And the only... The only way you stop Russia when they get on one of their many imperial roles, I mean, they did not become the largest landmass country on the planet because countries raised their hands and said, yeah, Russia, we want to be part of Russia. No, they were brutally conquered. Yep. And in every case, Russia framed the conquering of that country as a defensive war, as they are now, saying that America has captured Ukraine, using it as a battering ram to destroy Mother Russia, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, let, let me get to the point here. The United States of America has the means to stop Russia in its tracks. I'm talking about the tens of thousands of M26 cluster rockets we have warehoused in Germany a week from the front at most, compatible with the HIMARS and the M270 MLRS rocket launchers that Ukraine already has plenty of, and they are the best in the world at operating them. These weapons are designed to take out artillery and troops, which are the two 
elements of ground warfare where Russia is going to crush Ukraine if they are not stopped. Right. And if you if you if you and your listeners will just do a Google search on M26 rockets for Ukraine, that's M26 rockets for Ukraine, you will go to an article in Small Wars Journal where a guy named Dan Rice, who's a former U.S. Army artillery officer, wrote a story about three pages, 10 minutes to read it, yeah. tell you exactly how these things work. So why is and this administration Biden, not passing these things off to Ukraine? Because Biden, Biden and Scholz, the chancellor of Germany, and U.S. and Germany are the two biggest donors to Ukraine, right. made a call long time ago that Putin could not be allowed to lose. Um, there's an article in Bild, which is the largest newspaper in Europe. It was published back in November of uh, November 24, 2023. If you do a Google search on new new voice of Ukraine, colon, U.S. and Germany will pressure Ukraine to negotiate with Putin. Again, that's new voice of Ukraine, U.S. And Germany will pressure Ukraine to negotiate with Putin. Uh, you'll find it very, very interesting. I did not need, quite frankly, Bill or anybody else to tell me that Biden has been dribbling arms into Ukraine from the beginning when they should have gone in a in a flood. Yeah, this has I, been going I on. Agree. I, and I, and I yeah. think that there has been a concern. Certainly, Schultz has has bought into that. Although there are also suggestions that Schultz and some of the people in his cabinet have themselves been corrupted by having, you know, uh, big money opportunities and jobs and things when they leave office. The previous uh, German uh, uh, prime minister, um, you know, is working for a Russian company right now. So, mm -hmm. uh, you know, yeah. it's it's yeah. it's pretty problematic. Yeah. But they, you know, they apparently thought that uh, maybe Putin's uh, nuclear threats were legitimate. I'm with you, Zeke. We should be doing this. Zeke, thank you for the call. It's 10 minutes before the hour. I'll be right back with you. Hey, thanks so much for sharing our program and for reaching out to our stations and sponsors and letting them know that you're listening. It really means a lot to us. Welcome back. Nine minutes before the hour, picking up your calls here. Miguel in Frederick, Maryland. Hey, Miguel, what's on your mind today? Hey, good morning. I have, some, I have family up in Canada, and I just wanted to point out, and I think the doctor, the retired doctor, pointed it out, that Alberta is, he says Texas, I would say more like Mississippi, mm. uh, as compared to New York State. And the comparison the person's doing is creating a creating a province of some unknown place that he lives. As far as I understand it, the issue that's going on in Alberta is the lack of preventive care clinics. Mm. Also, that province has the largest um, population, uh, third largest population of Native Americans. And there is some bigotry there that they don't want the Native Americans to get, get health care. Oh. But more, but uh, just to pivot, I would also say that this whole idea of I can't see my doctor. I can't see my doctor, my dentist for three months. It's okay because they're human beings. They're not slaves. Right. They want to go home to their families on the weekend and work a certain amount of hours. And as the doctor said, have a work-life balance. And the people from the West Coast and the East Coast of Canada, the reason they don't want to move to Alberta is because of the attitude in Alberta. It's very hard for them to get people to move there 
because of that. But I saw an article I was waiting for you, a wonderful show, that Jim McDermott, I think, was a, a legislator mm-hmm. in um, Washington. Yeah. He lives in Paris now because he's scared. He's scared, and he, one of the things he said is that I have health care here. I don't have to worry about health care as an elderly. So he's basically telling people to get safe homes because he looks at the United States and he says he's getting threats. And why, why, why stay there? You need to be able to run someplace. This is the problem. Black Lives Matter is a problem because they're 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 asking for full full sovereignty, not sovereignty, um, suffrage. These people are threatening people, and no one's doing anything. A congressperson has to leave the country, one, because he's scared, and two, um, he's a student in history, sees what's going on, and three, um, somehow everybody else looking for suffrage is a terrorist, and you have representatives leaving the country because they're scared. Yeah. I, I would it's not a good sign. the Washington Post. I don't know if you have time for it, but it's— it's a good article, and it just makes me upset. And I heard that guy from Alberta, I can't get my doc. It's just absolutely insane, these false equivalencies. Compare it to Toronto. I mean, Korean to Ontario. Mm. It, and it's 36 million people in Canada. 30, 30, excuse me, 37 million people in Canada. And you go into a province that only represents 11%. I could cherry pick as well. This, right. It's just idiocy. Yeah. Thank you for your time. Thank you, Miguel. Thank you for setting the record straight. Bill in Olympia, Washington. Hey, Bill, what's on your mind today? Um, I wanted to let you know that I, uh, I'm a physician as well. Mm-hmm. And I read an article in JAMA just recently that Ron DeSantos in Florida is buying discounted medications from Canada for his Medicare patients. That's correct. And I remember when that story came out. Yeah. Yeah, like... Mr. Anti-Woke. Mm-hmm. That's the most woke thing you can do. I, I guess. It's like, you know, go to Canada to buy medications for Florida. Yep, excellent point, you know, Bill. Obviously, obviously, he wanted it for his Medicare patients so he can get their votes. Right, right. It's, it's... Uh, the, the other thing I wanted to mention is, is Medicare Advantage plans, which I've been against uh, since their inception. And I'm, I'm your age, and so I, I saw them from the very beginning. It's the most corrupt... Uh, organizations you can imagine. And when I was involved as a family physician in a rural part of Washington, I didn't have a choice but to see patients that were on it. Mm-hmm. And, and but they, weren't, they used to warn me, do not talk to them about switching back to Medicare. Well, I did anywhere. Mm-hmm. But they would always ask me, what do you, what do you suggest? And I say, get off this plan. Yeah. And so I, I did that quite often. And Good the CEOs just, hate, just hated me. Because I would go to meetings and I'd say, you're telling me you're saving money for the government. I, I don't believe it. And I don't believe it. Show me the numbers. You know, and then they would come up with these long, you know, convoluted answers and, and, and it never, you know, never made any sense. But I was always the guy in the room that was, you know, butting the system and people kind of looked down on me for it. But I'm glad I'm, I'm, glad I'm out for that reason only. I did fight for my patients continuously. I, I practiced medicine for 44 years. And I just put my blinders on and said, you know, I'm going to take care of these patients as best I can and the hell with the insurance companies. And usually I got my way because I was very forceful. Yeah. Well, good on you, Bill. Yeah, good on you. And thanks yeah. for sharing the story with us and, and setting the record straight. I very much appreciate and it. And thank you, Tom. Uh, I've been listening to you for, for years, and I don't know what I would do without you. God bless you. Thank you, You're Bill. You're a wonderful human being. I appreciate it. I'll take, take all care. the blessings I can get. Thank you. Uh, David in Woodland Hills, California. Hey, David, I got a little less than a minute. You got a quick one? Uh, yeah. 
Actually, I can give you the uh, way that the war in Gaza can end. Mm -hmm. It's real simple. Release the hostages, and Israel, the IDF, will leave the Gaza Strip. Uh, Netanyahu just came out and said he wouldn't, over. even if the hostages were released. Netanyahu says they're going the to continue to occupy it. Yeah, and the reason is what most what you're not talking about is that prior to October 7th of last year, Hamas committed 3,000 attacks on Israeli citizens just for last year. I would submit to you that you need to find out and ask publicly where did the money come from for Hamas to build Netanyahu is giving the money to them. Miles yeah, yeah, it, it's amazing. I mean, the tunnel system there, if they had redirected that money to, to you know, building industry in Hamas or starting, you know, anything, I mean, they, they could have turned it into a paradise. Instead, they turned it into a war zone. David, thank you for the call. We'll be right back. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Is corporate ethics an oxymoron? Do you have to be a jerk to be a successful CEO? Is exploitation the only path to profit? The good news is that many companies, big and small, in the food economy are blazing a different path through Wall Street's jungle of greed, demonstrating that money and morality can be compatible. Texas supermarket chain HEB, for example, has drawn an intense loyal customer base by, one, investing in good wages and benefits for employees, two, showing up in such emergencies as pandemics, hurricanes, freezes, to give essential supplies and hands-on help, and three, being an involved and supportive neighbor to the hundreds of unique communities it serves. Also, Maine Grains is relocalizing the business of milling grain by working with local farmers who had been abandoned by global grain marketers. They're producing flowers from heritage grains, boosting the local economy in the process. Then there's Bob's Red Mill, which also mills its products from diverse natural grains, and it's 100% employee-owned. These are part of a rising business alternative to the selfish profiteering ethic of Fortune 500 titans. Called certified B corporations, they definitely exist to make a profit, but they're equally focused on having a positive social impact, prioritizing fair wages, environmental protections, and healthy communities as core elements of their missions, even making those goals legal requirements of their corporate charter. This is Jim Hightower saying Ben and & Jerry's and New Belgium Brewery are just a couple more of some 3,800 other businesses now organized as B Corps. Though not pretending to be perfect, they're at least striving to be more than money grubbers, instead trying to contribute to the common good. For more information, go to bcorporation.net. You're listening to X-Ray FM at KXRY Portland on 107.1 and 91.1 FM. Streaming online everywhere at xray.fm. Tune in Saturday mornings for Raise a Glass, the show that pays tribute to the music figures we've lost 
notable dates in music history, and more. An eclectic mix of great tunes with a little history and trivia thrown in. That's Raise a Glass, Saturdays at 6 a.m. or available anytime on demand at xray.fm. I'm Rick Smith, and this is Labor History in Two. On this day in labor history, the year was 1937. That was the day with whistles blowing, the call to strike could be heard through the aisles of Woolworth in downtown Detroit. 108 saleswomen walked away from their workstations and cash registers. The eight-day sit-down had begun. The women saw from the experience in Flint that sit-down strikes were effective. They evicted management, barricaded the doors, and found 200 or so customers still inside the store wanting to join them. The strikers issued their demands. A 10-cent-an-hour raise, an 8-hour workday, union recognition and a union hiring hall, free uniforms and laundering, and more. Kresge department stores immediately gave their workers a raise in order to prevent similar stoppages. The striking women at Woolworth made themselves comfortable and the sit-down soon spread to a second store. Leaders from local 705 of the Hotel Employees and Restaurant Employees Union threatened a nationwide strike if demands were not met. Union cooks provided meals and union musicians provided entertainment. Hotel workers from across the city picketed in front of the store in a show of solidarity. After seven days, Woolworth's management caved and agreed to most of the strikers' demands. High turnover in the workforce would undo contract gains at area Woolworth stores soon after the sit-down. But the victory electrified retail workers across the country. The sit-down spread to retailers in St. Louis, New York, San Francisco, Minnesota, and Washington. In three strikes, miners, musicians, sales girls, and the fighting spirit of labor's last century, Dana Frank notes that, quote, over 60 years later, unions today in department stores all over the country owe their existence in part to the Woolworth strike. Like what you hear? Check out more at laborhistoryin2.com. Maybe you're tired of adult contemporary radio being the same old thing over and over again. If so, tune in to Beautiful Music Tuesdays at 4 to 6 p.m. where we retool, reimagine, and expand the definition of what adult contemporary radio can be. Only here on X-Ray FM. Radio's yours. Are you a parent of a child younger than six? Did you make less than $30,000 last year? If so, you may qualify for a new Oregon tax credit. The Oregon Kids Credit can be worth up to $1,000 per child. But to claim it, you must file a tax return. Filing a tax return not only allows you to claim the Oregon Kids Credit, but other tax credits for families worth thousands of dollars. To find free tax filing assistance, call 211-INFO by dialing 211. So if you're a parent of a young child and are struggling to make ends meet, be sure to claim the Oregon Kids Credit. And remember, the deadline to file a tax return is April 15th. I'm Dr. Anthony Lazowitz, and this is Climate Connections. A Christmas tree may be decorated with ornaments and lights for just a few weeks, but its useful life does not need to end when January arrives. 
In New Orleans and other coastal areas, some brown, dried-out Christmas trees are given a new purpose as part of wetland restoration projects. It's just a good overall thing to do with those trees once people are finished with the Christmas season. Arthur Johnson is with the Center for Sustainable Engagement and Development, a nonprofit in the Lower Ninth Ward. Last year, the group partnered with other community organizations to collect about 200 trees from residents. We were pleasantly surprised about how many trees we got in locally, how many people were excited to participate. The trees were placed in the bayou that borders the Lower Ninth Ward. It's an area threatened by land loss, flooding, and intensifying storms. The trees create a barrier to protect marsh grasses planted along the shore, and the tangled branches capture sediment, which helps slow erosion. Johnson says the groups are collecting trees again this year, and he hopes to see the project grow. It's fun, it's exciting, but it also means that the community is interested in its environmental well-being. Climate Connections is produced by the Yale Center for Environmental Communication. To learn more about climate change, visit climateconnections.org. Hey, this is Scott, host of the 80-pound cardstock show here on X-Ray. Two hours of intergalactic and subterranean electronic and experimental music every Tuesday evening at 11 p.m. If you like big hits and weird sounds, come check us out. 80-pound cardstock right here on X-Ray FM. is the Tom Hartman program. Welcome to the third hour of our program. Uh, Gavin Newsom, the guy who, uh, you know, I'm telling you, four years from now, he's going to be running for president, and he's got a very good chance of getting there. Uh, but Gavin Newsom has a new ad out that uh, is, you know, sort of jaw-dropping. I mean, he, you know, he's, he's pointing out uh, in fact, his tweet that is connected to the ad, he says, Tennessee's abortion ban has no exceptions if you've been raped, no exceptions if you're the victim of incest. Now Republicans in Tennessee are trying to punish young women that travel to receive care. The Tennessee GOP aren't alone in their cruelty. We have to fight back. And then that's followed by this clip. This is a young woman in a hospital bed. And then you discover that she is handcuffed to the bed. Trump Republicans want to criminalize young women who travel to receive the reproductive care they need. Don't let them hold Tennessee women hostage. Take action. There you go. So this is, I mean, it's like, whoa, that, that's, that's a, a powerful ad. And, you know, you expect to see a lot more of this kind of stuff because this is, you know, the Republicans are trying to weaponize government against women. And a lot of women are saying, no, no, thank you. Geeky Science, I, I shared with you a couple of weeks ago uh, some work, you know, some research that I had done and, and others on, on microplastics. And, and of course, when we were down in Antarctica, we found the, the, the science expedition that we were part of. Um, they were finding microplastics in, well, they had found microplastics in every single animal that they had autopsied. And, uh, and just, you know, pulling, you, you run 5,000 gallons of seawater through a filter and boom, you've got, you know, 100 particles of microplastics or whatever. So now that we've got this new study about placental tissue, human placentas. Keep in mind, human, microplastics were first detected in human placentas 
only three and a half years ago in 2020. This is brand new science. So this uh, Damian Carrington writing for The Guardian, the scientists analyzed 62 placental tissue samples and found the most common plastic detected was polyethylene, which is used to make plastic bags and bottles. A second study revealed microplastics in all 17 human arteries tested and suggested the particles may be linked to clogging of blood vessels. Microplastics have also recently been discovered in human blood and breast milk, indicating widespread contamination. Professor Matthew Campton of the University of New Mexico, who led the research, said if we are seeing effects on placentas, then all mammalian life on this planet could be impacted. This is not good. Uh, they're also noting that this could explain some of the uh, puzzling increases in some health problems. IBD, in, inflammatory, inflammatory bowel disease, has just exploded, as has colon cancer among young people, people in their 20s, 30s, 40s. And what they found, a 2021 study found people with IBD had 50% more microplastics in their feces. This uh, new research was published in the journal Toxicology Sciences. And uh, the scientists said microplastics carry with them substances which, acting as endocrine disruptors, could cause long-term effects on human health. This is not good stuff. Not good stuff at all. Meanwhile, over at HunterAndAFarmersWorld.com, I, I published a piece called ADHD, How to Train Your Attention Span with Meditation. This is actually from a story from a, a guy named Brian who lives in Charleston, uh, West Virginia. And, uh, or maybe it's the Carolinas. In any case, um, you know, one of the biggest challenges that high-energy hunters, uh, ADHD people have, is just slowing down enough to find a calm center. And, uh, you know, I've been meditating since I was 16. I, I find it very, very useful. It's a very important part of my, my kind of daily, just keeping my head together practice. And uh, Brian writes about it. He's, he talks about how he was uh, uh, initiated in transcendental meditation. And then this guy, uh, an efficiency expert, came into his company and said, you could do the same thing. You don't need all the Hindu religion. You could just sit there and close your eyes and use the word one over and over again. And it, it works as a mantra, just like Om or, you know, anything else. And uh, he says, as a result of this, I've learned how to relax. I believe it's imp improving my concentration span and I get more ideas. And he talks about meditating with a pad and pencil next to you, which I also do. So uh, good stuff. Good stuff. So if you if you want to learn more about that, it's over at HunterInAFarmersWorld.com. All righty, let's pick up some of your phone calls here. Devon in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Hey, Devon, what's up? Hey, Tom. Um, well, I'm calling about uh, something that's really obvious, so I, I don't know why more people aren't talking about it. But, you know, we have a law in the books that prohibits the United States from giving or selling arms to a country engaged in war crimes. And so, you know, when we sold all those arms to Saudi Arabia so they could, you know, indiscriminately kill children in Yemen, everybody just kind of looked the other way because, hey, who cares, right? But, I mean, this is a law on our books. Code of Federal Regulations 22, subsection 2778. This is against the law. So why are, I mean, do we just get to decide ourselves if someone's committing a war crime? And if so, what does that make us? Oh, that's a good question. Or does the does the law require some sort of adjudication of war crimes? 
I, you know, I, I share your concern, Devon. The, the weaponry that we've been providing to Israel and, and uh, as you said, to Saudi Arabia. And then Trump, you know, tripled down on that. Um, yes. Yeah, yeah, I'm with you. All right. Thank you, Devon. Yeah, like Summer Lee, you're my representative and uh, in Pittsburgh, and, mm -hmm. and you talked about this on your website, Ms. Lee, and I really wish that you would speak up there in the House about the fact that this is an illegal thing that's going on, even though they're trying to take her out because she represents like a heavily Jewish enclave here mm -hmm. uh, in Pittsburgh. But yeah. um, anyway, Summer Lee, stand tall because we don't want this going on. Even my Jewish neighbors don't want this going on, don't want our money going to feed war crimes. There you go. Devon, thank, thank you. you. Thank you very much. Diane in Ann Arbor, Michigan. Hey, Diane, what's on your mind today? Hi, Tom. Um, I just got a book today. Um, I ordered it. Uh, it's called uh, White Rural Rage. Have you heard of that? It just came out today. I have not. And it's by Tom Schaller and Paul Waldman. And uh, it says, uh, with white rural rage, Tom Schaller and Paul Waldman have the guts to ask a crucial question. Why do so many white Americans fall for the authoritarian demagoguery now being peddled by the GOP? And it goes into, it's very good, very easy listening. Um, and it talks about they go into communities and, and how they have next to nothing and there's so much uh, that the country, that um, towns, communities are falling apart. There's so little services. And I got to thinking, um, have you ever heard of uh, the second Bill of Rights? Yeah, of Franklin Roosevelt's proposal in 1944. Exactly. And, um, you know, who has a better name than Franklin, Franklin Delano Roosevelt? And it's what every American is entitled to. And I thought, geez, why did... Your, your phone is, uh, is vanishing here, Diane. You know, the left and I work on the second bill of rights for everyone in need. Yeah, Diane, I, I can't hear you any longer. I'm sorry. I don't know what's happened to your phone. But, I, you know, I, I get your point. Is this better? Yeah, it is. And, yeah. And thanks for the tip okay. on the White Rural Rage book. But, yes, we, we, we should have a second bill of rights. I completely agree with you. Thank you. Uh, Angela in Cleveland, Ohio. Hey, Angela, what's on your mind today? Yes, afternoon. Um, I'm just wondering, I just heard uh, on MSN that um, the Mike Johnson is refusing to seat uh, Mr. Sosie from uh, New York. Yeah. Well, so far, I mean, I, the, the uh, uh, Congress doesn't reconvene until Thursday. And uh, my understanding is that he will be sworn in on Thursday. They could have done it. You know, he was elected on the 13th and Congress recessed on the 14th. They could have sworn him in on the 14th. Um, but but I, you know, best guess is that Mike Johnson didn't want him sworn in because he, he wanted to have that vote on the impeachment of Mayorkas. And he needed that one vote because that passed by one vote. Yeah, my understanding was that he's refusing to seat him. Because it would only leave them with a one-person uh, majority. Yeah, it's two, actually, but I think. But, but yes, I, apparently that's what's going on. And, you know, we'll see what happens on Thursday, um, you know, whether they actually do swear him in. But right now, Congress is in recess. The House is in recess. So, Angela, thank you, thank you, thank you for your call. Um, good talking with you. It's 15 minutes. Well, it's almost 16 minutes past the hour. We'll be back with more of your calls and the news of the day on the other side of this break. Stay with us.
This is the Tom Hartman Program. It's your media support group for We the People, picking up your calls right after this. And welcome back. Eddie in Tom's River, New Jersey. Hey, Eddie, what's on your mind today? Hi, Tom. I, I, uh, I got a lot on my mind, but I just want to tell you that back in your Air America days, I loved you so much that I went and found a portable radio recorder because you were on the air when I was at work. That's <laughs> oh, sweet. Really well, thank you, Eddie. Uh, what's, on my, what's on my mind for the longest time is how people sit down from these pundits and interviewers, and Republicans, all kinds. They just sit there and they just tell flat-out lies that you know the interviewer knows they're lying, yeah. and I can't understand why they're doing it. Because— One of the examples— Oh, go ahead. One of the examples is Republicans saying uh, that Democrats, Democrats support— abortion right up to birth like and nobody would go oh you think a district attorney wouldn't have something to say about that but right now the one that's killing me is netanyahu keeps going on television and saying that it's a one-to-one ratio and you're looking at the people listening to him and you're like did they get past arithmetic in grammar school because if if most of them are women and children in order for it to be a one-to-one ratio then not a single adult male wasn't a terrorist. Plus, there's a bunch of women and children that, that are terrorists, too. What is he claiming is a one-to-one ratio? He says, well, for, every, for everybody killed in Gaza, right. at, least one, at least half of them are terrorists. Wow. That, that's, that's just got to be wrong on its face. And, and, he, and he sits across, I mean, you know, people that make millions of dollars a year at CNN hosts, he sits across them, and he says this, and they don't, and they don't bat an eyelash. I yeah. just, I can't believe that he gets away with that. Well, here's the problem that people in the media have. When you've got a program, and most of your TV talk shows are like this, when you've got a program that depends on getting guests for its survival, that the host can't just carry on their own. I mean, you'll, you'll see... I mean, there are, there are some really good hosts that are capable of carrying an entire show over on, for example, on, a, on MSNBC. You've got, you know, both uh, Rachel Maddow and, and Ali Velshi. Either one of them could do an entire hour without a single guest. They don't. But, but most of these shows are designed with guests carrying the, the show. The guests do most of the work. The host reads something that their producer wrote off the teleprompter, and then they invite the guests on. Well, if you can't get guests and your show requires guests to function, you're in deep trouble. And the Republicans know this. They've known it for years. And that's why you don't hear Republicans being challenged when they lie on these national programs. I mean, occasionally there'll be a little bit of a challenge, a real gentle one. Respectfully, sir, don't you think? You know, that kind of thing. But uh, basically, the Republicans know that, that uh, you know, if, if they just en masse stopped going on CNN or MSNBC or whatever— that uh, probably not so much MSNBC, but certainly CNN, that uh, the, the network would be a crisis. It would be, they'd be in trouble. So that's what's going on, Eddie. Yeah. What I have to wonder at, you know, I, I decided I couldn't stay in this country for Trump, and I, I, spent, it, I spent the whole thing in Europe. Hmm. And I didn't, I didn't see that over there. Yeah. It's, and one, I never actually witnessed it, but I would, you know, but... People in England told me, you know, 
if, if a BBC interviewer sits in front of the Tory and is telling them lies, then a Labour, a Labour member is going to come on and give that BBC interviewer a lot of trouble. And yeah. I'm like, why doesn't a Democrat come on and say, and say to the person that sat by well, Lindsey Graham saying, what do you say? And say, why did you listen to that? Yeah, no, I, I, I totally get it. Like I said, they're, they're, they're afraid of the, the Republicans, frankly. Eddie, thank you for the call. Amazing. 20 minutes past the hour. We'll be right back. Change starts with you. You can be calling your Democratic or Republican representatives to let them know what you think by calling 202-224-3121. It's the Capitol switchboard. It'll get you right through to them. So a lot of people are wondering, why is it in America that we can't have nice things? Why don't we have, you know, the same things every other democracy has. Every other democracy in the world has a national health care system of some form, and everybody is covered. We don't. We've got 27 million un uninsured people and over 100 million underinsured people. Why is that? Why is it that every other country in the world offers college education very inexpensively, if not for free, and for here you go to debt? Why is it that we've got our public schools crumbling and other, other countries are doing well? Why is it that we've got Medicare being taken apart by this Medicare Advantage scam and nobody will do anything about it? Well, it turns out the reason why has, it boils down to one thing, one Supreme Court decision, Citizens United, legalizing the bribery of our politicians. There's a whole rant about this over at, at uh, HartmanReport.com. Uh, I think you're, you're going to find it very, very useful. Check it out. Twenty-two minutes past the hour, and uh, picking up your calls here, uh, Holly in Marshall, Missouri. Hey, Holly, what's on your mind today? Oh, Gaza and Netanyahu, mm -hmm. and uh, I think uh, I think it's simply not so simply. I'm sorry, a land grab. Um, for years, we've been watching the West Bank. Uh, Palestinian farmers' houses being bulldozed and Israeli settlements being built. Yep. And I think as soon as the um, Hamas bombed Israel, it gave Israel and Netanyahu an excuse to go in there and take over Gaza. And I think that's why he will not stop the bombing because he wants to totally wipe out any any he wants to make it into the Israeli Riviera because yeah. it is a beautiful beautiful piece of land oh i know and so so i think that you know that's in a way it's There's... sort of what putin is doing is a land grab too but but this land grab has been going on slowly 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 they have a lot in common in terms of being a land grab, that's, yeah. that's pretty much it. I, I can't disagree with your analysis, Holly. And in fact, there are people in uh, Netanyahu's cabinet who are calling for that, for the total displacement of, of the people in that region, which would be a genocide or something very, very close to a genocide. And uh, it's just, it's, it, it's such a tragedy that this is going on. It's, it's just, it's horrible. Holly, thank you for the call. Jeff in Cambridge, Minnesota. Hey, Jeff, thanks for listening to KTNF. What's on your mind? Uh, yeah, so uh, the uh, Alabama uh, personhood for the, uh, for the embryos mm -hmm. thing, uh, 
I'm assuming then, if that's a person, that a an attorney could go and um, vouch for that person and take the mother to court for child endangerment if they, uh, for instance, uh, did not uh, have the COVID vaccine. What is the COVID vaccine? Oh, well, <laughs> you can't because, vaccinate an embryo. <laughs> what am I missing well, here? Yeah, no, but you, but yeah, no, but the well, the mother is endangering the child by not getting herself vaccinated. Oh, I see. So, so uh, yeah. See, see, I the, mean, there's the, already the conservatives. Have, go ahead. The conservatives, yeah, conservatives have been harping on this idea for forever that once that that uh, embryo has personhood, then they can stop that. A uh, poor person from doing drugs or, al- or drinking alcohol uh, because they want to save that that embryo. Yeah, they don't need so, personhood to do that. I mean, Pervy Patel in Indiana was arrested and sentenced to 20 years in prison for endangering her her fetus by, as I recall, drinking. Maybe it was drugs. Um, don't recall which. Yeah. But there there are but, multiple states just, now that have laws like that on the books, and they don't require fetal personhood. Yeah. Well, I just think that the fetal personhood makes it even a stronger case to do it to the conservatives on, on the other side of the spectrum. I see. Until we get rid of the stupid, until we get rid of the stupid uh, idea right. of personhood right. for the embryos. But, yeah, so you yeah. do jujitsu here, use their own energy against them. I get it. Yeah. Uh, interesting idea, yeah. Jeff. Thank you very much. Uh, Mike in Columbia, Missouri. Hey, Mike, what's up? Hello, Tom. I just want to keep this brief. Uh, you have a caller that I've become a real fan of, Michael from the Bronx, New York. And I really enjoy listening to him, like, especially yesterday. And uh, I'm from New York City, too. I was raised there until I was 20. And it seems like we really agree on a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. So I just want to let you know that. Okay. Yeah, Michael in the Bronx, you've, been, you've gotten a shout-out here. Um, is that all you wanted to talk about? Yeah. Have a good day. Okay. Thanks a lot, Mike. Uh, yeah. If, if for you know, FYI, Michael in the Bronx called in yesterday, and he was, uh, you know, went into a rather lengthy screed, and it was a brilliant one. Uh, you know about how offended he was as a black man by uh, Donald Trump going to speak to a group of black Republicans and telling them that they should love him because he's been indicted. Like you know, hey, black people love criminals. That was you know that was the essence of Trump's whole message. And uh, but now that I'm a criminal, you should love me too, right? And Michael was like, wait a minute, you know, that's not us. That's that, these are the worst Republican stereotypes you can find. All righty, it's 27 minutes past the hour. I'll be back with more of your calls. There's actually uh, open lines, in fact. I'll be back with more of your calls on the other side of this break. Stay with us. It's the Tom Hartman Program. Talk media for the sane among us. Yes, there are some of us who are still sane and still here, not going anywhere. Stay with us. We'll be right back. You're listening to the Tom Hartman Program. Call 202-808-9925. Your call's up next. Stay with us. is the Tom Hartman Program. Our book today in the Tom Hartman Book Club is Saving Yellowstone, Exploration and Preservation in Reconstruction America. Yeah, Reconstruction, like the 1870s. 
This is from the prologue titled Lost. The dog stopped along the trail ahead of him, growling. Yellowstone Jack Baronet reined in his horse, his horse and dismounted, taking his gun from the saddle. He soon saw what had captured the dog's attention. An animal was dragging itself slowly up the side of the cut, a narrow canyon through the Gallatin Mountains leading to the Yellowstone Basin beyond. A black bear, Jack thought, possibly wounded. He approached warily, his feet crunching on the hard crust of three days snow. Drawing closer, he could see that it was not a bear, it was a man. He was crawling on his knees and elbows and making a low groaning noise. His clothes were in tatters, his long beard matted, his fingers curled into claws. The skin on his face and arms was thin, thin and translucent, clinging to his bones like wet paper. This could be the man Yellowstone Jack had been looking for, the explorer whose friends had put up a bounty for his return, the man who'd been given up for lost. Are you Truman Everts? he asked. The man looked up at Jack through half-closed eyes. Yes, he croaked, all that is left of him. Jack smiled. We've come for you, he said. I'm saved, Everts whispered and collapsed on the trail unconscious. Six weeks before Jack found him in the cut, Truman Everts said goodbye to his 19-year-old daughter Bessie and left the small mining town of Helena, Montana to join an expedition to Yellowstone Basin. He was an unlikely candidate for an adventure in the wilderness, a 54-year-old widower who was terribly nearsighted. Everts had served as assessor of internal revenue for the Montana Territory for several years until his term ended in February of 1870. He was prepared to return to the East Coast with Bessie in July when a few friends suggested a scout of the Yellowstone country. Everts was no mountain man, but he could ride a horse and shoot a gun. He was reasonably sure he could handle himself on the roughest of mountain trails or in a fight with Crow or Shoshone warriors that they might run across. And Everts was curious. In 1870, despite the arrival of thousands of Americans and European immigrants in the Great Northwest, an area extending from the western edge of the Great Lakes to the Pacific Coast, Yellowstone remained beyond the reach of the territorial or the federal government. The basin was hemmed in by four mountain ranges. On maps of the region made in the 1870s, they looked like the rim of a giant crater. Slicing through them were narrow canyons like the cut created by rivers clawing their way from the basin through the mountains and into the broad valleys of Montana and Wyoming. The largest of these waterways was the Yellowstone, which rushed through the Gallatin Mountains before arcing to the north and east toward the Missouri River. Crow and Lakota people called the, called the river Heheka, or Elk, but French traders working at forts along the Missouri in the 18th century recorded the name that the Gros Venra gave it, uh, Mitsiadias, Yellow Rock River, after the rocks that lined its bank downstream. Along the Yellowstone River and the basin's other waterways were paths cut into the soil by the hooves of horses and the edges of the, of the travois, the sledges that they pulled. For thousands of years, Blackfoot, Nez Perce, Crow, Shoshone, and Bannockpans bands crossed the Yellowstone Basin in all seasons on their way to hunt buffalo and elk in the Great Plains. One band of Shoshones, known as the Tudadika, uh, sheep eaters, for the animals they raised, lived most of the year in the mountain ranges encircling the basin. In the early 19th century, French, English, and American trappers followed the trails that these indigenous people had made. Most returned. Stories they told of thundering waterfalls and cliffs made of glass, of mud volcanoes and geysers that exploded out of the ground, and huge clouds of steam and boiling water 
seemed absurd. Everyone knew that trappers were inveterate liars who loved a good story. It seemed foolhardy to believe them. And yet, what if these stories were true? In 1860, a U.S. military expedition came close to entering Yellowstone country from the southeast side, but the Wind River Range, with its sawtooth peaks still covered in snow in midsummer, made it a physical impossibility. Local miners made plans to explore Yellowstone during the Civil War and the years after, but they had failed to raise funding or secure military escorts to protect them from indigenous bands who saw them as trespassers. In 1869, a three-man team set out on their own and returned after more than a month in the Yellowstone, confirming many of the details from the trappers. When these men tried to publish their stories in national newspapers, editors refused, believing that they were lying. Within Montana territory, however, these amateur explorations gave new credence to reports of the trappers and spurred men like Truman Everts to seriously consider and then commit to striking out for this purported land of natural wonders. The 1870 expedition had come together under the leadership of Nathaniel Langford, who arrived in Montana in 1864 after prospectors discovered gold on the northern regions, reaches of the Rocky Mountains. Langford did not have much luck in the mines, so he turned to politics. After Andrew jo jo Johnson took office in the wake of the Lincoln assassination, the president chose Langford as Montana's territorial governor. But Johnson's subsequent battles with the Republican Congress scuttled Langford's appointment. The book is Saving Yellowstone by Megan Kate Nelson, winner of the Pulitzer Prize. From international trade policy to immigration policy to housing, we've got all kinds of topics. The wars between Republicans and Democrats, the Republican efforts to induce fascism in the United States. A great selection of opinions will be found over at HartmanReport.com. From Los Angeles to Columbia, South Carolina, from Birmingham, Alabama to Baltimore, universal basic income programs are chalking up proof after proof of their viability. Basically, just giving people, low-income people, poor people, somewhere between $500 and $1,500 a month, no strings attached, is lifting people out of poverty, getting them back on track, getting them into solid middle-class jobs, helping their children tremendously. This works. Now, we don't have to do UBI in the United States. We're the only developed country in the world that doesn't have a national health care program. Health expenses are whacking a lot of low-income people. We're the only country, developed country in the world that doesn't have free college education. Education expenses are whacking people. There's a lot we could do. We can subsidize housing. We can subsidize food. We do that with food stamps. We could expand it. There's a lot we could do to, to, to benefit from this. There's a whole report about that over at HartmanReport.com. Check it out. Welcome back. 35 minutes past the hour, picking up your calls here. Rick in Altadena, California. Hey, Rick, what's up? Hey, good morning. I got two quick comments. I want to know what you think about them. Number one, Garland has already showed himself to be very partisan over the years. It's time for uh, him to be replaced. And on an entirely different subject, um, we've, spent, had, we've um, been patient enough with Israel. It's time to cut ties with Israel. What do you think? Well, I think we should cut military aid to Israel until they've uh, committed to a two-state solution and, and want to work, you know, with the, with the world, and, and, and until there's some accountability for Netanyahu's war crimes. Um, 
what was your first point? Uh, Attorney General Garland. Oh, he, he Garland. Go. That's he's right. shown himself Harland. Uh, he's yeah. shown himself partisan, and we don't need him around. I don't um, think he's shown himself as a partisan. Game. I think he's showed himself as a wimp. I mean, he's apparently afraid of prosecuting Republicans. Uh, he finally had to hire Jack Smith to do it. But I, 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 I think it's all important also to acknowledge that Trump had packed the Department of Justice with the right wingers, and there's still a lot of them there. So, you know, it's entirely possible that Garland was dealing with an internal revolt. We'll probably have to wait for the books to come out years from now to find out. But I'm, I'm all in favor of replacing Garland with somebody like Jack Smith, somebody who is going to take names and kick ass. Um, I don't want the department well, politicized, but I do want crimes to be prosecuted. Yeah, I understand why uh, why he was kept on, um, but you know what? Uh, no, I, he's 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 shown um, disdain towards Democrats, and I don't think his actions have um, uh, been even-handed. And right. um, his I don't big know. his I, big I, crime I was him. it's time to go. Yeah, his big crime was letting Robert Hur publish that that uh, that report on Joe Biden. That that was just criminal. That was just so wrong. Rick, thank you, Dave in uh, Brooksville, Florida. Hey, Dave, what's on your mind today? Yeah, hi. You know, this woman, Lori Kaufman, I think this is a uh, just a media ploy and she's an attention whore. She's not legit. You know, it's an interesting scam in context with our usual complacency with Zionist war crimes. But first of all, Kaufman is a traditionally Jewish surname. Another thing is that typically Republicans and Democrats would be trampling over each other to condemn her remarks and proudly affirm their wholehearted unity and unconditional support for the most ugly racist apartheid regime on the planet. It's a it's a brutal abomination that is hell bent on exterminating an entire population, all while U.S. taxpayers finance it. Both political parties kowtow to it and fake Christian evangelicals suborn over 50 years of illegal military colonialism in the well, name to of large, God. To, to a large extent that they've been doing that, um, and I get it, you don't like Israel, uh, but to, to a large extent the, 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 they've been doing that um, with, uh, with you know, our, our complicity. I mean, I, I get what you're saying. Dave, thank you for the call. Steve in Sealy Lake, Montana. Hey, hey Dave. Uh, Steve, excuse me, what's on your mind today? Hey, Tom, how's it going? Good. Hey, uh, you guys were saying that uh, if they push these Republicans on their lives on TV, they won't come back on. Right. I don't see that as a problem. Why don't they just, I'm, I mean, there's plenty of Democrats that would want to fill those spots. Wouldn't well, they? And that's, that's why I said it's not so much a problem for MSNBC because they very rarely get Republicans on anyway. But it is a major problem for CNN because they're trying to do this whole f charade of fair and balanced, you know, of we're, we're going to present both sides of the story. When one side of the story is complete bat guano crazy filled with lies, and the other side of the story is just, you know, kind of traditional American political dialogue. Um, and, you know, CNN doesn't uh, appear to f have figured that out. Um, but, yeah. Yeah, you would think it would be a whole lot easier. I mean, if the Republicans didn't come on there, that would only be like a half the problems that they had with saying uh, after. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, right, there, wouldn't it be? There you go. There you go. That, that's a possibility, Steve. I, I just, you know, I can, I can tell you right now, they're, they're, you know, the, the senior management of CNN is working very, very hard to try to keep their Republican viewers, and and so, you know, uh, occasionally you've got to, you've got to let a Republican get away with giving lies. They appear to think that that's a reasonable price to pay. I disagree, but I get it. Right. Steve, thank you for the call. Bridget in Chicago. Hey, Bridget, what's up? Hi, Tom. How are you? I'm fine. What's up? 
Good. So listen, I was wondering, why wouldn't Joe, uh, President Biden, mention to the people that it is not his fault that they give arms to Israel because they've been doing that for the qualitative military, what is it, qualitative military edge? Basically, they're in the center of a bunch of countries that hate us, so they have to keep Israel kind of on point with arms. So it would, it, they make it seem like calling him Genocide Joe to me is really upsetting and offensive. What do you think about that? Yeah, I, I, I would agree with that analysis. I, you know, I think that um, we have long justified providing weaponry to Israel by saying that it's a, it's a rough neighborhood and there's people in, in, in the Middle East who, uh, you know, represent a threat to our, our uh, interests. As well as to as well as to Israel's and you know uh, quack quack quack, but I think that when a country starts engaging in war crimes at the scale and proportion that we're seeing right now being done by Israel and justifying them, and members of of that yeah. cabinet start calling for genocide, which is what they're doing, yeah. um, I, that's a point at which you really need to reconsider your alliances, or at least the nature of your that's alliances. True. So. But how can they stop it if they do, if it's a law? Yeah, I mean, I'm sorry, you know Bridget. I mean? we, yeah, we can't, we can't drop obscenities on the air, but I get what you're saying. Uh, and apologies for anybody who was offended. David in San Pedro, California. Hey, David, what's up? Hey, Tom. Um, yesterday, you mentioned again, and it's in your uh, bumper announcements also, that uh, the whole Jesus quote of given to uh, God the things that are God and the things under Caesar that are Caesar's. Yeah, I was doing that from memory. Um, Did I get something wrong? Yeah. No, no. Uh, frankly, it's always sounds like a classic politician straddle to me. That Jesus pulled you know? off? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, he he was basically saying, you know, we're we're not involved in the state, and the state shouldn't be involved in us. I mean, I, wasn't that the message? Yeah. You? Well, yeah, most of, most of the other quotes that you find, you know, he's very uncompromising. You got to leave your family and stuff like that behind. That's true. Follow God. Yeah. And uh, I just suspect that that particular quote was added in later, when in the time of Nero, uh, more or less. Uh, Oh, you know, that's that's entirely Christians possible. To be, you know, keep your head down and stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's there's a, 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 a scholarship group. It's called the the Jesus Group, I think, or something like that. Um, it's been 25, 30 years since I read this, but um, uh, Funk, I believe his name was Peter Funk, Robert Funk. Um, he mm. he was the the author, and they they published this book, which has got um, the four Gospels plus the Gospel of Thomas. And it's in red letter, pink letter, gray letter, and black letter. And the, uh, as I recall, the black letter is stuff that Jesus almost certainly didn't say. Um, no, the black letter is all the text, right? The, the gray letter in the quotes of Jesus, the, the gray letter was stuff he almost certainly didn't say that got later inserted. The pink letter was the stuff that he may well have said or it might have been inserted. And the red letter was the stuff that there's a lot of corroboration that this guy actually said this. And it's fascinating when you go yeah. through and read it to see what, you know, these, and it's like a, a whole bunch of, over a hundred scholars, including, you know, Jewish Torah, Torah scholars and modern-day Christian scholars, Catholic scholars, um, you know, this whole spectrum of them. And I, that, that was a, a fascinating, that was the last time I read the Bible. 
and like I said, it was probably 20 <laughs> years ago, but um, it, it was, and it wasn't the whole Bible. It was the four Gospels plus the Book of Thomas, but it was absolutely fascinating. So I, you, you're probably right, David. Yeah. You're probably right. Yeah, well, it, it sounds like it's added in later, but uh, by the same token, I'm all in favor favorite because it's one of the great quotes that argues for separation of church and state. Yep, absolutely. Well said. David, thank you. Thank you very much for the call. Alan in Seattle. Hey, Alan, what's on your mind today? Uh, good morning, Tom. Well, we got uh, the former guy and current President Biden heading for the border. At, mm -hmm. uh, you know, On Thursday, yeah. Yeah, and uh, recent news articles are saying that uh, uh, Mexico City, home of 22 million residents, is uh, going to run out of water in a couple of months. Parts of Mexico City have already started to run out of water. Yeah, yeah, but uh, it's getting it's getting really bad. And yeah. and my question is, you know, where are they going to go? That's I mean, a good question. The rich can go anywhere. Yeah. And but you know the the moderate income or the poor folks, they're going to say, well, let's head north. Yeah. The last time I was in Mexico City, which was probably 25 years ago, um, the city is built in the middle of a volcano, you know, it's or an extinct volcano, <laughs> and, and uh, at a fairly high elevation. And uh, underneath the city was a, a giant aquifer. There was a lot of water down there. As they've been draining the water out, the city has been settling. And it's dry, and it's causing all kinds of weird dislocations, and you know streets buckling, and buildings moving around, and stuff. It's it's a very very unstable place, you know, Mexico City. And part of it has to do with yeah. the hydrology, you know. The and now that they're running right. out of water, now that they've kind of drained that aquifer, I don't know what they're going to do. This this and we're going to see yeah. these kind of crises all over the world in increasing and 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 large or yeah. larger numbers. Um, as all these different, you know, climate, as we, as we start hitting these climate problems and, you know, just the destruction of our biosphere. Uh, Alan, thank you for the call. We'll be right back. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Visit TomHartman.com for audio and video archives. It's the place where smart people get their news. Picking up your calls here. I'll be right back with you. And welcome back. Tim in Boonville, California. Hey, Tim, what's on your mind today? Hi, Tom. I wanted to uh, talk to you about this, uh, first of all, this little race in uh, California, um, uh, the Senate race. I support Katie Porter, but I just want to point out, oh, heavens to Betsy, if Katie Porter doesn't get elected, I have to settle for Adam Schiff or Barbara Boxer. You know, it's like Barbara it's Boxer's be, not in the race. You mean Barbara oh, Lee? I'm sorry. Barbara Lee, excuse right. me, yeah. uh, Barbara. Yes, and, uh, it so, looks like you know, Adam Schiff I is going to walk away with it from the polling. Is that what you're seeing there in California? I've only seen a couple stories about it, but it looks like he's way ahead. Uh, I have seen little from Adam Schiff. I got some uh, good Katie Porter ads, and now mm -hmm. some packs that are absolutely trashing her. But, Interesting. But my point is, no, but my point is, no matter who wins this, I, I like them all. Yeah. And that's the way, I, you know, people don't understand, that's the way every political contest in this country should be. No matter who wins, 
They're all going to support us. The country's going to move forward. It's going to be okay. Not this nonsense that we get. Every time it's a political uh, presidential campaign, it's the choice between a poop sandwich or a turd burrito. That's yeah. what's always on the menu. Poop sandwich, <laughs> turd burrito. That's it. And, um, you know, like, yes, this this Senate race, this is a fine example. No, you know, no, any of those candidates, they're all going to be fine. Yeah. Um, uh, and uh, also, I just want to point days out are gone. Uh, about. Pardon? I said those days are gone when, you know, if you, if you, yeah. if you elected a Republican, you at least knew he wasn't going to ruin the country. Yeah, I mean, those days are gone. Right. Uh, well, I long for them. Yeah. Um, and I bring, bring back again. bring back Ike. Yeah. I, um, hell, I'd, I'd even settle for Nixon. <laughs> he gave us the EPA, point, for God's yeah. sake. At this point, yes. Um, um, also, I just want to point out about um, uh, Netanyahu is feeding right into Hamas's hands. They want uh, they declared everybody in Gaza a, a, a martyr. He wants they want him to kill them all so they can unify Islam against Israel. And he's playing right into their heads. Right and he knows he is, Tim. He knows he is. I mean, you know, he knows what's going on here. And and he knew. I mean, this is what Biden flew over there to warn him. You know, if you go in the way George Bush went into Afghanistan, you're going to end up with a real mess and you're going to end up with a lot of dead yeah. people. And, you're, and, you know, it, it may serve you politically over the short term. It might help you keep from getting evicted from your job or something like that. But it's the wrong thing to do. And Netanyahu essentially said, you know, I don't care. I'm going to do the wrong thing because yeah. it's, it's the thing that will rally people behind me. And he's right. I mean, look at how, you know, it got George W. Bush reelected in 2004. And he was he was pretty upfront about the fact that he was going to have a war in Iraq and Afghanistan as his 2004 reelection strategy. Netanyahu's just doing the same thing. And and in the process, he's taking down Joe Biden. And, and, uh, and I, you know, I get it. Biden is saying Israel has been an ally of the United States for 50 years. We want to maintain this alliance. It's an important country. It's a democracy. It's in the region. But at some point, you know, you've you've just got to say enough, enough already. So I don't know if we're there yet. But, Tim, thank you for the call uh, at some point, and And perhaps after this election in Michigan today, it'll be really interesting to see what percentage of the turnout or what the raw numbers are, for that matter, um, in terms of people voting for uncommitted rather than voting for Biden or or Phillips or, or Williamson on the ticket. It's 10 minutes before the hour. I'll be back with you in just a second. Help support Progressive Radio. If you're listening to us on a commercial station, call their advertisers and let them know you're listening. If you're listening to us on Pacifica, one of our many nonprofit stations, please support them when they do their fundraising drives. Thanks for supporting Progressive Talk Radio and tag your it. Welcome back. Nine minutes before the hour. Picking up your calls here. Patty in Newark, New York. Hey, Patty, what's on your mind today? Oh, hello, Mr. Tom. Hey, Patty. <laughs> um, actually, it's Mr. Hartman. It's very nice to talk with you. Thank you. I uh, I called earlier bec- or wanted to talk to you about your opinion. Um, I, I guess I've been paying way too much attention to our American politics. I don't quite understand what's going on. 
in Israel and Gaza. Now, are these, are, is Israel, they are um, Jewish people, right? By and large, yes. About, about uh, okay. 15, 10, between 10 and 20% of the population is Arab. Okay. Of, uh, of so Israeli citizens. In, in, in Gaza, what, is this a religious thing? What is the people in Gaza? They're, they're Palestinians they? and they're Muslims. Um, what's been going on is that for the last decade or so, Netanyahu has been trying to prevent a Palestinian state from evolving by keeping the Palestinians divided. You've got Palestinians uh, who are on the West Bank, who ha you know, have uh, been uh, living there for, forever, and Israeli settlers have been driving them mm. out, bulldozing their buildings, stealing their land. And so you've got one, you've got the Palestinian Authority basically running the West Bank, and then you've got Gaza. And, and what, what Netanyahu had been doing is uh, Hamas had gotten elected back in 2010, I think it was, to run Gaza. And, and, and Netanyahu has just been pouring money to Hamas on the assumption that somehow he could co-opt them or use them or whatever. I don't know exactly what his, what his uh, calculus was except that he was trying to divide, he was, it was divide and conquer. He was trying to get Hamas and the PLO to hate each other, basically, and to compete for the loyalty of Palestinians. And he was quite successful in that. But now, I mean, it's the old saying, you know, lay down with dogs, get up with fleas. Now, now that, you know, Netanyahu has made his, his uh, partnership with Hamas all these years, Hamas has turned on him and has turned on Israel, and, and Netanyahu is left, you know, basically trying to pretend that he didn't, he didn't help cause this problem, but he very much did. Patty, thank you for the call. James in Montgomery, Alabama. Hey, James, what's on your mind today? Hi, Tom. Um, I just, I, I'm sickened and really angered about uh, the Putin wing of Congress that will not provide the aid to Ukraine. Right. Is there anything that President Biden could do in the way of a presidential order and let the courts, you know, drag their feet and... Yeah. 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 I, uh, my I mean, sense of it is, James, that if there is, we will know that probably on Monday or Tuesday of next week because uh, the House comes back into session on Thursday. Um, Monday is the day that the government shutdown begins, or excuse me, Friday is the day that the government shutdown begins. And a week from Friday is when the other half of the government shutdown begins. If they don't pass aid to Ukraine, I mean, and, and, you know, Johnson has set this up by taking a two-week vacation so that there will be maximum chaos so, if, and, and so that he can do Putin's bidding. Uh, you know, it's very, very clear now that Mike Johnson is, also, is not just dancing to Donald Trump's tune. He's dancing to Vladimir Putin's tune, as are a number of other Republicans in Congress. Clearly, Ron Johnson is dancing to Putin's tune. You know, clearly, uh, 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 Rand Paul is dancing to Putin's tune. We've got a bunch of them. Uh, these uh, fifth columnists. Street Taylor, Green, Matt sure. Gates, yep. Ed Al. Yep, there you go. Absolutely, yep. but uh, there's got to be, they're not, they don't represent the majority of them. No, they don't, but they have they have enough power in Congress to keep things tied up. So, so anyhow, the bottom line, in answer to your question, I think that, you know, when it becomes obvious that there, nothing is going to come out of this Congress, and that was, I think, the meeting this morning in the White House was Biden's last-ditch attempt to try to make something happen. If Mike Johnson continues to, to, to profess loyalty to Putin rather than to the United States, then I'm guessing you will see... Biden come out with some sort of an executive order. What it's going to say and what it can do, I don't know. But I, he's got to have some presidential powers he hasn't used yet. James, thanks for the call. Aaron in Waycross, Georgia. Hey, Aaron, what's on your mind today? Hey, how you doing, man? Um, I just got a thought that I'd like to share with you and your listeners. 
I've always been told that term, follow the money. And it seems like everybody's really upset now about money going across seas, going into congressmen's pockets, uh, going pretty much everywhere except to Americans. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'm just wondering, what do you think if everybody in the nation just filed exempt all at once? How do you think? How long do you think that get them? It take them to get the message that you know we're fed up, we're sick and tired of y'all not getting anything done because you wouldn't pay an employee if he wasn't getting the job done. Yeah, and this, there's the, no the, way the government could come after us all. Right. The unfortunate thing, Aaron, is that the Republicans are the group that doesn't want anything to get done, and they don't want anything to get done because the billionaires who own them don't want to pay taxes, and so they don't want any more government programs, and they want to wind down the ones we have. It's why, they, it's why they've been pushing to privatize Social Security all these years, et cetera. So I, I just, I, I, yeah, I think they would be happy, frankly, the Republicans, if people stopped paying taxes. Aaron, thanks for the call. We're out of time. It's the end of the day. Thanks you so much for being with us today. We'll be back tomorrow, same time, same place. In the meantime, don't forget, democracy is not a spectator sport. It requires all of us. That includes you. So get out there, get active, tag, you're it. We'll see you tomorrow. Have a great afternoon. Be good to yourself and the people around you. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com. Our local newspapers are being merged, purged, shrunk, shut down, and looted by Wall Street profiteers. Yet, there's good news. In the towns those media vultures are torching, a phoenix is rising. Hundreds of determined locals, often led by people of color, are finding new ways to pay for and revive top-quality local journalism. For example, the Ferndale Enterprise moved to an old Victorian home, renting upstairs rooms to vacationers to subsidize the paper. Also, while aloof Wall Street owners have no connection to us or our towns, the scrappy new community papers are stressing their grassroots connection by moving into friendlier, more central, street-level spaces such as public libraries and community centers so that regular people can see them and have direct access to their reporters and editors. Then there's the editor of the Sahan Journal in Minneapolis, who moves his weekly editorial meeting to the offices of various grassroots groups so their members can help shape the paper's coverage. And in Marfa, Texas, the Big Ben Sentinel is literally serving the public, not only with a good weekly, but also with the Sentinel, a combo coffee shop, cozy bar, cafe, event space, and hangout for locals to meet and greet. In ways big and small, dedicated local journalists are experimenting with funding, structure, staffing, etc. to produce the news that democracy requires. Note to Wall Street vultures, these newspaper ventures aren't interested in scaling up to maximize investor profits. As they know, it was corporate cost-cutting, consolidation, and scaling that got us into today's mess of journalistic collapse. And, unlike the Wall Street model, their success is not measured simply by financial return, but also by how they do at keeping citizens informed